We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Nineteen eighty-eight. Margaret Thatcher is tragically still alive. The last emperor wins nine Oscars in a ceremony that no one boycotted. The only way is up is yet to be turned into the theme tune of a reality show. And on BBC Two, a brand new series starts. Thirty years later, you're listening to Ganymede and Titan's live thirtieth anniversary dwarfcast. Tonight, we go into orbit to celebrate Red Dwarf. Its past and present. Its origins. Its future. So let's use the time drive and see just what the immediate future has in store. Starting next, it's the Pearl Pole, our 30th anniversary survey to rank every episode ever. Then at 9.30, our first ever live commentary for the episode that started it all 30 years ago today. The end. So get your DVDs ready now. And then at 10 o'clock, it's time for Ganymede and Titan Unplanned, in which you, the listeners, set the agenda. We want to hear from you throughout the show, so feel free to tweet us at Ganymede Titan or join the live chat on our Spreaker page. We'll also be taking your Skype calls later on in the show, and everyone's welcome to phone in. We could live to regret that policy, but nevertheless, if you want your voice to be part of Red Dwarf history, add Ian Ian Symes as a contact on Skype, and listen out for further instructions. <sighs> I'm Ian Symes, and I've already been talking for a long time. Uh, but tonight I'm joined by a full G&T, t- G&T team, uh, namely John Hoare, Hello there. Tanya Jones, Hiya. Danny Stevenson. Hello. The disembodied voice of Jonathan Capps. Hi. And uh, our regular guest on Live Dwarfcasts, Joe Sharples of the official Red Dwarf Fan Club. Hello. So, as is traditional, every fifth anniversary uh, we mark the occasion by releasing the results of our latest survey. Uh, and this time it's the Pearl Poll. What did everyone make of the results? Very, very, very interesting. Yeah, they, I was going to say really boring. <laughs> 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 what were you going to say, Captain? <laughs> oh, no, no, not really boring. <clears throat> well, it was it was very much as you were at the top and bottom. Yeah. Will anything ever beat back to reality? Ever? Um, no. <laughs> I, I, I was really tempted this time around not to vote for back to reality, but I, as top, I couldn't bring myself not to. It felt just being... Contrary. That's the thing. It's yeah. It it just is. It just is a really good episode. Yeah. It, it, it's it's one of those. I, I'm definitely not being deliberately contrary here, but it is one of those episodes that I. It's not my favorite episode. It never has been. It's what what was it like? It was second this time for me, and it was second last time as well. So uh, my favorite always like seems to rotate between marooned out of time and. I don't know, maybe quarantine, depending on what day it is. Um, so it's always a little bit disappointing for me that Back to Reality is the top, but it <laughs> just, like, almost objectively at this point, it's the best episode of Red Dwarf, so you can't really do anything about it. Yeah. Mm. 
We thought we thought for a while, looking at the results as they came in, that there would at least be some movement. Like we knew that Back to Reality would be top, and that P Part Two would probably be, be bottom. Uh, it was only Time Wave has come along to challenge that one. Marooned was doing really well, like the first week, I think. Yeah, the first few days, Marooned was actually on top, and we got temporarily we got very excited, but then Back to Reality streaked ahead. <laughs> but for the majority of the time that the poll was open, Gunman was in second, and Marooned was third, and then it swapped back. Like on the last day or, or close yeah. to the last day, and ended up being quite a margin in the end. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was all very samey, which is a bit of a shame <laughs> when you have to write 10,000 words on <laughs> how similar it all is to last time. <laughs> but uh, then, you know, there is a thing where it's that thing where you, if you're doing this thing a lot, sometimes mm. you want the results to be different for the sake of something being different. And that is really understandable but at the same time is not actually it's artificial yeah and i think it is the fact that we've we did a big scale survey five years ago and other than obviously 12 new episodes have come in five years wasn't that long enough in uh, that long ago in the history of red dwarf so the episodes that are always around the top are always going to be kind of around the top it's just yeah. there's only going to be small variations really yeah. Um, it's 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 not something that's movable really that much. If the Silver it, Survey was really kind of almost was a bit of a landmark because we'd had our 2008 G and T only poll, so obviously yeah. there was always going to be a big difference between Silver Survey and that. But also that was 2008, and since between 2008 and 2013, there was I, I would argue that Back to Earth and Series 10 are a bigger bigger events in Red Dwarf's kind of history than 11 and 12, if you see what I mean. 11 and 12 are almost one thing and <coughs> and Series 10, which is what came between 2008 and 2013, was, yeah. almost, was a bigger thing, so there was there was a bit more kind of shuffling about and interest in, you know, what's placed where. But with the, with the new entries, uh, a lot of people were kind of predicting while the poll was open and um, we were waiting for the results, that the bubble would be far less of a thing than it has been. But, uh, no, that's not the case. <laughs> the highest new entry was Skipper, uh, which was only number 31, and no other episodes from 11 and 12 got into that top 36. Now, here's the thing. Yes. Um, historically, new episodes have done very well mm. in these kind of polls. And we seem to be kind of moving away from that yeah. in these. It used to be that ev the big complaint was, um, oh, the new episodes, they're artificially inflated because everyone remembers them and everyone wants to put them higher. And now the complaint is, oh, the new episodes aren't getting high enough. And it's like, right, so we're just trying to find something to complain about. Then, <laughs> it's, you know, whatever happens, it's wrong. Well, it's, it's a shame when you look at it and you think, oh, like, sort of on paper... <laughs> You think of episodes like MCOR and and Skipper and Macocracy, which were the highest of the of the ones that made it in Give and Take, and you think, well, they are really good episodes of Red Dwarf, in my opinion, like, and they deserve to be considered amongst the best. But actually, do I think that they're better than thirty six other episodes? Yeah, I think sometimes, mm -hmm. yeah, but like then more than thirty one, which is where Skipper got. Like, are any of them actually in my top twenty, my top thirty? I'm not sure. So, it really, are they only really competing for about 30th place? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, if, if any of the new, or any of the Dave episodes um, touched a classic episode for me, I, I would be screaming about it. Mm. Um, 
and especially you know anything anything as good as back to reality i'd be completely overjoyed yeah well, that's not going to happen. That's a way to manage my expectations. There was the um, the issue that has caused some controversy of some people who took part in the survey um, not really ranking um, Series 11 and or 12 that much. Um, and we did... It was, we were thinking and agonising about what to do with those, but we let them. we kept them in. And that's caused a bit of debate, but really, it's only about eight people in total out of three hundred and thirteen. And I don't think that the difference that would have been made would have put any of the new episodes any higher, because really, it's only the fact that they plunked them in the order that they went out that's unfair. Like the the rankings within the series are unfair, but if this person either just doesn't care about series twelve or really hates series twelve, then they're not going to put it any higher than. Six yeah, bottom anyway. Not going to so make much of a difference overall. It's only five points, really, yeah. or, or twelve points I, a piece. And then it's also fair to say, without saying any details, obviously, is that there were still some entries that raised enough of an alarm with us that we either checked with the original person, yeah. um, and in 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 those cases, ended up they ended up not being counted after discussion, or or we just they were obviously a, a troll and. They, they were gone. So like, it's not we, we haven't we haven't just let any old garbage come in. You know, we we have been making sure yeah. that it makes some sort of sense. Checked every single one, such as the yeah. one the people that um, had put Time Wave and Pete Part Two at the top, and then put Back to Reality and, and Gunman as the worst episodes <laughs> ever. We, we checked yeah. with them and re- technically possible, but yeah, not very likely. The <laughs> thing is, I found ranking series ten, eleven, and twelve easier than any other part. Mm. Of the poll, I don't know why you wouldn't want to get your teeth into that if you <laughs> if you are bothering with Red Dwarf at this point. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's like I I I find ranking those Golden Thirty Six very very hard. Yeah. Even my top ten, I find very hard. But actually, I think with um, ten and eleven and twelve, it's all. I find it far easier. Yeah, you kind of you've had less time to, to put it on a pedestal almost. But also, it's uh, yeah, it, you can be more objective about a new episode that you that you don't already love by default. And also, I think there's more of a gap <coughs> in quality. I mm. really do. I think. Um, well, the biggest gap on the Silver Survey and the Pearl Pole rather between two episodes from the same series was Series Twelve, where <laughs> um, Skipper was thirty-first, but Time Wave was seventieth. So, and the, it was one of my favourite stats from the thing was. When you look at the average points per series, uh, series 12 in the final table is below both 10 and 11. But if you take time wave out of the equation and just do an average of the five other episodes, it's way, way above. Like, time wave really drags series 12 down on average. Well, Even if you take out can of worms and give series, series 11 a fighting chance as well, it'd probably... No, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, series 11 wouldn't same. compete. And I've talked to a, a few people about the series, and there was one person I was talking to who watched the first two episodes of 12, really enjoyed them, and then they got to Time Wave, and they are they are not a hardcore fan, or really any kind of mm. fan, they're certainly not in fandom, and they were like, what the fuck? So <laughs> Time Wave is not something that just fans have taken against. Yeah. In my admittedly anecdotal experience, it's generally unpopular. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what did everyone put as bottom episode? Um, I can't remember. 
Uh, <laughs> a Roborex. Yeah, I did. I put Time Wave. Time Wave was my second bottom behind Crytv. Crytv was my second. Yeah, Crytv TV will always, 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 always be my least favorite episode. I, I like honestly, Doug Naylor could film himself killing someone when that was an episode. Crytv would be my that's, least that's favorite. That's a strong position. Um, I would be very willing to bet that I put Time Wave higher than anyone else here. I put it at fifty-three. Yeah, that is very high. And the reason I put it at 53 is I think it's a bad episode done badly, but there is a core interesting idea, and a lot of episodes that underneath that haven't even got a core interesting idea. Mm. I that's, that's, why a fair I point. It, that's why I put it that high. Well, John, you also, you were one of the people that put the original 36 episodes in the top 36 places. Yes. And everything from Series 7 onwards, 37th and below. Do you go into it deliberately saying nothing from afterwards will break in, or do you genuinely, you know, ponder your favourite from post ninety three and your? Least I will. I will admit, going into um, ranking these, I knew that the top thirty six were going to be mm. series one, two, uh, six, and for me, Red Dwarf has three eras. It's the first six series. And then it's series 7, 8, and back to Earth. And then it's series 10, 11, and 12. And it's three eras that I don't think there was actually any crossover or jumbling of the three eras. Mm. I think, first of all, it's the the first six. Then it's series 10, 11, 12. Then it's, to me, the dark era of Red Dwarf. I've just looked up my results, actually. Time Wave is 53 on my list. Yeah. uh, Copying me again. Yeah. <laughs> Give and take and entangled. And Cassandra, quite a, below those actually, I'm surprising even myself with that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I must be in a good mood that day. <laughs> um, I think uh, it's a lot of series seven and eight down the bottom for me. Possibly because I'm just, I, I think that's just my uh, holding a grudge be honest <laughs> but then I'd have to go back and watch them and I'm not sure I can, I can go to those I mean, and that's fair as well because holding a grudge against a particular thing does affect your enjoyment so it's a it's a, it's a true reflection yeah. of your enjoyment it's a reflection of me it's, it's entirely subjective so it is I really yeah. do think of Red Dwarf in terms of eras rather than episodes when it comes to quality mm. um, so, I think so, that's different to quite a lot of people actually I did but I think the lines are blurred a bit more with the latest Dave stuff. So with 10, 11 and 12, there is... I I didn't set out in section. In fact, what I did this time round, which is different from before, usually I just start with the end and then rank future echoes better or worse and then do the same with Balance of Power. But this time I picked random episodes from the left-hand side because I was finding it too difficult to do all of Series 1 in order. <laughs> And so it, it made it really uh, unbiased in a way about, you know, I'll pick this episode and I've got, I'm comparing it to something that's completely different. Yeah. Um, and that allowed me to think, oh, actually, no, MCOR, I do think is better than Rimmerworld or, or Balance of Power or whatever it may be, or The End, which isn't one of my favourites. And so mine was a lot more higgledy-piggledy around the middle. There wasn't that clear delineation between eras. I think that's the same with me as well. I, th- I actually found it a lot easier to attack uh, sort of like like I said just more of a just grab this 
and just kind of work your way up the list. Like, is it better than this? Yes. Is it better than this? Yeah. yeah. Is it better than? This? And then wait, wait till it hits sort of middle ground and stop. And grab an but then every now and then, I guess that you, if there's a certain era that you just take against, then instantly you'll go, oh no, it's, I, it's, it's I, worse than that. I think there is. Um, it's very. We're back to something I've been wanting to try and put into words now for years, and I've never managed to do it. But there is something tonally about Red Dwarf that works for me for those first six series in a way that, I mean, I put M-Core 37 and that was the easiest decision I had to make yeah. because M-Core is by far my favourite episode of Red Dwarf outside um, the uh, the first six series. And what's your least of the 36? Um, it's Rimmer World and that feels really mean and on a different day I probably wouldn't have chosen it. My big beef with Rimmer World is it's Terraform done badly. Mm. Or terraformed and not as well. My lowest classic dwarf episode, I think, is um, mind you, I say classic dwarf. I'm not including seven and eight um, from the first six. It's confidence and paranoia, I think, which pained me. Um, in fact, it pained me to do. I actually did try and mix. I think the highest actually the Dave series gets is thirty with me with Mcore, which. Again, I'm surprising myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a little while ago when I filled this out. But I think I did actually make a very conscious effort to try and mix it up slightly. But there we are. I mean, I, th I honestly think if I did it today, my rankings would be different. Yeah. And yeah, so it's only ever a snapshot. Yes. I did put the end at 35th. So it's kind of... Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the specific um, things that have happened that you know the few differences that there are between the Pearl Pole and the Silver Survey. So that Series 1 is one of the ones that's missed out um, and dropped down quite a bit on average. It no longer, no longer has any episodes in the top ten with future echoes having dropped out. That's a tragedy. <laughs> it really is the thing I'm, mo I'm, I'm most aggrieved about. <laughs> I, like, put most... I love series one. I love every single episode of series one. I mean, obviously, it's a very trite thing to say, but <clears throat> like the 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 waiting for God being a very traditional whipping boy. Even though I don't rate it like massively highly, I find it irritating that it's always it's always the whipping boy. And now the now the other episodes and genuinely some of the best episodes the show's ever done kind of starting to tick down. Um, I don't know. I know what you mean, Captain, because I think Waiting for God is endearing. Yeah. Um, has, a, has a special feeling about it, maybe. Series 1, for me, only fails in comparison to Series 2, 3, mm. 4, 5, and to some extent 6. It doesn't fail on its own terms in any way. So I put, I mean, I put Me Squared 10th, and I think Me Squared should be in the top 10. But yeah, I think I had a couple quite high up me squared and future records but it, it only suffers in comparison to other red dwarf it doesn't suffer on its own terms I mean me, me squared's behind backwards yeah and that's that's <laughs> I don't know let's just shut the website down <laughs> this is it it's goodbye everyone I've been yeah. waiting for god at 61 <laughs> <laughs> fight me I think Waiting for God I might be the one that actually exited my bubble, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not because I don't like the episode particularly, it's I don't know the episode as Is that okay? Is that one of your... Other yeah. ones. It's just one of those ones that kind of 
I know it, I've seen it, but not as well as other ones. Mm. And so when I'm comparing it, I'm constantly putting other ones ahead of it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And that's fair. Like, familiarity is obviously going to be a big part of this. And when you boil that down, like, I mean, you can't really talk too much about objective quality because it just doesn't work that way. But it, like familiarity can really, um, yeah. can really influence things in ways that you can never predict. Um, speaking of which, one of the other differences was uh, Series 10 slipped quite a lot in comparison to last time. Uh, Trojan in particular dropped about 12 places. We see this is what I mean about yeah. the, the thing that usually newer episodes do better than yeah. they have this time around. So, so what does that say for 11 and 12 in, in the, you know, a coal cloth? Well, does it say anything about 11 and 12 or does it say something about the people who were taking the survey? this time around and that's a little more difficult to figure out because if we had a lot of people who just love the first six series mm. and are in love with that then that's not there is yeah i guess there's, there's also considerations that 10 was still the was the exciting new thing and 11 and 12 also the exciting new thing but it's a little bit they feel a little bit more like just Oh, it's the current Red Dwarf that's on at the moment. Like we're in a more comfortable position now, where it's like, okay, Red Dwarf here is here. It exists. There's new ones that turn up quite regularly now. We're probably going to get more, and so there's less of a uh, maybe an overreaction of excitement to eleven and twelve because it almost feels like it's the status quo that the show is yeah, back, rather than with ten, where it felt like there was nervous energy that that could be the last ever series, you know. And we have discussed before as well that. The we're not quite convinced about some of the ordering of the episodes mm. in series eleven and twelve, and if you're going to hide MCOR fifth, yeah, that's yeah. not dragging in the viewers as much as it should do. And as good as um, um, oh Jesus, Twentica was it going out first is probably it's, it's a weird spot for it. It's not yeah. a, it's not an episode one. Like G and T is an episode one. G and T is a website, Capsi. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, there was some improvement for series three and uh, four and five. <laughs> Most of the series, then. Uh, but yeah, those ones in particular, uh, the ones that are in the middle of the bubble, seem to do even better. So one... they were eating series one's lunch, basically. Yeah, well, yeah, one missed out, and and four gained a, a, an extra place in the top ten as a result. Um, and... I consistently put Dimension Jump second, and I feel it never does quite as well as I want it to. No, well, it's interesting because we're gonna get on to our own rankings in a minute but the last thing on the main um, rankings, the main Pearl Pole results, is that Series 7 did pretty well in comparison to the rest of the least good ones. Fuck off. (laughs) It escaped quite a few places at the bottom where it had been before and in the end Series 8 had 7 of its 8 episodes in the bottom 10. I think, wait, let me just double check I'm right. Series 7 I put all eight episodes in my last place. (laughs) So actually Back to Earth was ahead of Series 7. There you go. You're unusual in that you hate Series 7 more than you hate Series 8 because at least Series 8 was trying to make you laugh. Yes, and actually... Whereas most people um, prefer 7 to 8 and have kind of called off on Series 7 over the years. Well, yes, I think when G&T first started, 
it was very much a Series 7 hating was the thing to do. <laughs> and I have solidified my <laughs> opinions on this. And everyone else you're hasn't. Setting, you're setting your ways. I've set my ways. I mean, with the Series 8 thing, um, Pete Part 2 is the worst episode, apparently. And the picture you've got is Hollister sitting there with a sign saying, I am suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. That is more entertaining than the vast majority of Series 7 for me. <laughs> so there you go. That's all co- I want. There was a conversation going on in the chat room uh, before the show started where someone said... Um, they were comparing Time Wave to Pete Part 2 and said, well, at least Pete had a dinosaur in it. <laughs> and my my opinion would be, because uh, I put Time Wave well above Pete, even though I've just defended it, and my opinion is Time Wave has a plot in a way that Pete doesn't. Uh, uh, Mick has clarified in the comments that he hasn't called off on Series 7 over the years. Excellent. <laughs> You've got a kindred spirit there. Um, should One. we... We've, uh, in about five minutes' time, we're going to be doing our first ever live commentary uh, for the end. So if you haven't already got your DVDs or your Netflixes or whatever the kids are using today lined up, then... Your ministries of sound. Get them ready now. <laughs> uh, but before we, we do that, let's have a quick look at uh, the GNT only rankings. So just the five of us, uh, not you, Joe. You're not involved. Let's just, you, let's just talk about us for a bit. <laughs> uh, so we've got uh, Back to Reality Top. As previously discussed, it, it oh, just is. God, get... But we've got Out of Time in second place, uh, where it's not even in the top ten in the main one. Close a margin as well, I think, scaling it down. Yeah, although, yeah, there is only five of us, is the thing. Oh, God, I've lost my safari window. Oh, there it is. <laughs> this is quite consistent, isn't it? Out yeah. of Time as... Uh... Yeah, um, although last time we only put it in 12th, so <laughs> there's that. Uh, Legion also makes some gains, uh, is up to number four. Uh, we still have Future Echoes in the top ten. Uh, we have the Inquisitor in the top ten as well. Um, so yeah, we, we know what we like. <laughs> <laughs> We're all pretty much in agreement on a lot of the now time Legion. They're kind of our favourite kind of episodes yeah. as a collective. Uh, let me just go back to my other fucking thing. What's happened with Out of Time then? Because like, if we'd done a commentary on that or something, no, we didn't, because that was like Seb's last commentary, wasn't it, for the for the yeah. website? So that was done before the Silver Survey, I think. Yeah, so I, I wonder what's happened without a time. Yeah, no one else likes it anymore. We, we always, still do. It's, it's always been like, well, I mean, that was my top one in in the Silver Survey. It's second in this time, man. But yeah, it looks like it's just. Mm. Well, I put it ninth, so... Oh, so Tanya agrees with the consensus. Uh, We've got Gunman as low as ninth um, instead of second, and Polymorph, which is number nine in the main list, is 22 in our list. So what is it about Polymorph that us don't like? I I put Gunman 18th. Yeah, my really fell. No, I actually like Gunman. I just think, as I'm getting older, the episodes of Red Dwarf I prefer are the ones which say something mm. and Gunmen doesn't say an awful lot it's just a fun action adventure with loads of jokes which is brilliant but they're not my favourite episodes as I get older no. um, our highest new entry was Mcore, uh, and that was 33rd so even lower than the highest new entry on the main list and then Crisis was our next favourite episode <laughs> of series 11 and 12 and I think that is just peculiar to us we all seem to <laughs> like Crisis more than anyone else um, almost all of our new entries were in the 40s, which, add, which adds up to what John was saying about 
series 11 and 12 and 10 being just below the classic era but above series 7 and 8 that was very much how ours mm. panned out uh, because down at the bottom we put series uh, we put Crisis TV lower than Time Wave um, Back to Earth does better in ours than it does in the main results uh, whereas series 7 does a lot worse so maybe it's not just John <laughs> maybe it's all of us maybe I just not speak too loudly <laughs> you've influenced the four of us as well <laughs> rather instead of anyone else um, so is there anything else anyone wants to say about the poll poll or should we uh, should we crack on no good <laughs> poll poll done with I, I do think it's very difficult I think on any given day any of us might even change our top ten yeah mm, um, this is what I, I, I said the most enjoyable part of it for me which is different considering I don't always feel like this about the episodes, is ranking series 10, 11 and 12. Um, I know we've all seen them more recently, but also it's there's such a wide variety and a wide uh, gap in quality on those mm. episodes. There's some stuff to get your teeth into. I find that so much more entertaining than do I think Terraform or The Inquisitor is better. Yeah, it, I don't get much out of that, but I do enjoy looking at series 10, 11 and 12 because I think... The gulf in um, quality is something you can really grab onto and get your teeth into mm. and actually make some sense out of it. Well, the full results are available to sink your teeth into in both written and video form over on www.ganymede.tv. I'll be honest, the video is probably better. Just watch the video. <laughs> uh, but now it's time for us to go back to where it all began with our first ever live episode commentary. Uh, hopefully this will work. And hopefully you'll all have your Series 1 DVDs lined up, because if you press play at the end of the forthcoming pips, our searing analysis will sync up perfectly with what's on your screen. So, fingers on buttons, ladies and gentlemen, as we get back into the 1988 BBC Two mood, and enjoy the end. Next Monday in Horizon, we explore the interesting question of whether or not computers are capable of thought. On Wednesday evening at 10.20 on 2, you can see the story of the biggest aeroplane ever built, the Brabazon, nicknamed the Flying Skyscraper. Over on 1 now, the 9 o'clock news with Martin Lewis and Andrew Harvey. Here on 2, we fasten our seatbelts once again for a new comedy series taking us into outer space with The Red Dwarf. Hey, right... We're live. Dramatic 2001 type music is playing. And uh, this is our episode commentary for the end, which we haven't actually done before, uh, this version thereof, but we have done... I'm just going to move the DVD remote way out of the way, because we know what happens when we <laughs> Danny's near one. Uh, so yeah, traditionally we start by saying uh, how each episode is done on the most recent poll, and uh, the end was 24th on the poll poll, down two places from the Silver Survey. Uh, what do we all make of the end? Because uh, we were kind of talking about it briefly before that it's perhaps not any of our favourites, really. I think the end is really good. I just think it suffers in comparison to what comes after. Mm. Um, it, it's it's a great episode. It's really good. It, it feels mean that it's that low. Uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I think it's perhaps become a bit more iconic in... Like obviously, the further you get from it being, there's always going to be more nostalgia the further away it gets. But 
I think the fact that it was parodied in two different episodes, or referenced rather, <laughs> in two different episodes, because this is the first bit that Ganymede and Titan singing and pushing the trolley around was the ending of M-Core, and then Skipper was entirely based on the end in parts. Well, I watched, I first watched Red Dwarf during the 94 repeat, 94 repeat season, and all I can say is the end grabbed me and made me record every single episode. Was it the first episode you'd watched? Completely. The only ever, the only uh, Red Dwarf I'd seen before then is that tiny bit in Dimension Jump where Ace lamps Crichton, (laughs) and then my family switched it over because they didn't want to watch Red Dwarf. Fucking idiots. But but I remember that, and then yeah, I I was heard, oh, Red Dwarf's brilliant, and I saw the repeat run, so so, yeah, this was the first episode I watched properly, and yeah, I mean, it it just grabbed me from the first first few, uh, few moments. Well, maybe that's the... Quite a lot of people on the Pearl Poll um, said that the end was their favourite episode. So maybe if it is literally the first one you watch and it's the one that makes you fall in love with the show, then obviously you're going to like it more. But I certainly wouldn't go that far. Yeah. I, well, I mean, uh, it's, I haven't ranked it as my favourite, but I think it's um, a beautifully formed opening episode. Uh, and it brings you a pretty much fully formed universe there even when actually you do you look at it and you think that's that is a low budget production Mm. in comparison to some other series and it's quite it's only those two for quite a while but somehow they kind of they well you know what this scene needs it needs a, a small <laughs> scutter whizzing past the screen. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Trailing smoke behind it. <laughs> the thing is, look at that. I honestly think that set looks beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's I actually, really think it does. It's beautifully simplistic, and you actually can um, credit them with the idea that actually they're in the bowels of some mining ship on their own, um, the crew are elsewhere doing whatever they're doing, and they're stuck talking to each other. <laughs> Is, did you did anyone see that thing that BBC Archive tweeted earlier today? Which I was saw, haven't watched that. Philip Schofield it. presented. I don't think they said what the show was, but it was Philip Schofield presenting some sort of junior points of view, where they asked school children what they thought of telly, and they all really loved this. Yeah. And there was one kid <laughs> who was about twelve in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, but he's an adult now so I can call him a fucking idiot because there was just this one kid who kept on going on about the wobbly sets and this is the contemporary reaction to it actually going out this isn't some digital spy article years later that's weird and it could say oh you can see that it's all made of cardboard and then there's a girl sat next to him and she goes actually I thought the sets were really good they were really impressive I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) she's right and he's fucking wrong whoever you are fuck off I'm Morris Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but contrary to your experience of it being very early days, my first reaction to the end was quite jarring. Like, I've, well, I was quite jarred because I it was at the same time as you watched it, the mm-hmm. 1994 repeat run. But I had already seen all of series five and six at that point. Yeah, and so for me, I had the reaction that people were, people who were watching from the start would have had with backwards I of just, going hey everything's different Where, why is Holly a man now yeah, yeah. why is everything grey and where's Crichton 
that was that was the thing that was my reaction to it because I saw three and four probably when it went out and then realised there was more episodes to go back onto. Yeah. And like I think Future Echoes was the first episode I remember from series one, and I remember it being a really strong idea, but it just seemed so different to what I'd seen before, and it was just it was nice to see something completely different, but it was just weird to see it as the same show. And it, it, even now, I still kind of do have that separation between one and two, and then everything else. Yeah. There is a weird separation in my brain that seems to just you know compartmentalize. I think there's a there was actually probably a, an actual difference between kind of late eighties, early nineties, and then mid nineties onwards, and I think that affects my dwarf to be honest mm. in terms of this this particular you know this has a very we've been watching Alexi Sell's stuff and it's got a very similar feel to Alexi Sell's stuff it's um and I think there was a way of making television back then that suddenly as over time it changes and suddenly something sort of happens in the early 90s where suddenly things start to change things start to look as what we would see as modern nowadays well bear in mind that the first series of red dwarf to use tube camera um uh the last series of red dwarf to use tube cameras was um series three yeah it moved to the um ccds series four yes and that is a change right there yeah Yeah. um even if you don't know what has changed you know that something's changed yeah um, if anyone's watching this on Netflix, you'll have just heard, um, instead of See You Later Alligator, you'll have heard, here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I really like, I quite like it. It's, it's funny. Fucking awful. Well, <laughs> because I, I, it's such I, a jarring difference to what you're expecting. I, it's awful. See, I, yeah, well, yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? To what you expect. That's the thing it is. If you, I mean, what I quite like about it is it's almost an indication that you can't ruin that joke. Yeah. If you put any inappropriate music <laughs> in that joke, yeah. whatever you want, the joke will work. Yeah. Well, that, see you later, alligator. Is meant to be, you know, you, you're dead, you, you're gone, <laughs> bye bye. But it's like, here we go. It just seems weird. It's like a football song. It's just a really weird joke. It's a very strange replacement. <laughs> Tim Shaw has just pointed out that in the original original assembly cut. Kachansky kicks the scutter that starts dancing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, I've always liked that joke. <laughs> yeah. In the remastered yeah. one as well, you see more of that on the screen. You see that too. Uh, you know, Craig Charles doesn't do enough funny faces nowadays, in my opinion. <laughs> His face is too old for the To be fair, he tends to do that stuff when the camera's when they're not actually on action and he'll just do that at the audience instead it's kind of... yeah see it's all wasted boys not wasted on them <laughs> yeah. it's wasted on us lots of like gaps I know there's audience meant to be audience reactions and stuff but it's the fact there's a lot more the pace is more languid yeah. than Red Dwarf even was in series 2 yeah I kind of like that. I do no I do I'm not saying it's bad I'm just saying yeah. that it's something you know it's about the early series it's just there's a very slow pace to it it's very it's quite it's realistic yeah it's it's the building block for everything else it's it's those two talking crap and insulting each other because if you are in very close quarters with someone you don't like Basboosh Basboosh <laughs> Done any reading the subtitles then? <laughs> <laughs> Just thought spooches are good on a matter of 
Uh, Sai points out that perhaps the reason See You Later Alligator was being played is be- is a clue that uh, McIntyre was coming back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. I think I always thought that was the joke. Oh. But then why did you say it was songproof then? <laughs> but no, because the point is, all right, I'll rephrase. One of the jokes. I always thought that was the decision, but yeah, the joke yeah. is also inappropriate um, song. Oh, I like the way Lister tries to. It's a sort of way he sort of tries to trip him over, doesn't he? It's, it's yeah, sort of attack. It, it's just really, really It's really petty and needless, and I quite I enjoy it. Yeah, it looks like it could have done some damage. <laughs> I used to think he just kicked him in the back of the leg and just gave him a real massive dead calf. <laughs> That's what I think he used to do. I've always loved this set. It's really nice. I presume it was never shot in front of an audience. These scenes it must have taken up half the studio or something. Yeah, and the number of extras in there as well. You presumably want to get this done as a pre-record. But it's really nice. And then it shows up once on a deleted scene in series two, and then that's it. Mm. It's old. I'm impressed that he still thinks it's there, given that it's quite obvious. You would think <laughs> I, he'd feel it, listen, taking I, it away. I don't know. I've actually managed to do that to someone. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, does, it does work. It does work. Where is that cityscape picture now? That's what I want to know. Mm. Was it buried in the uh, wreckage of there was Oxford? A, there was a similar one in Skipper, wasn't there? But not, you know, in the style of... And there's a TED Talks poster in there, isn't there? Well, not TED Talks, but the <laughs> TED organisation. <laughs> yeah. It would have been nice if they'd gone with their original idea. And Was it Ronnie Barker they were trying to get yeah. to play the captain and kill your famous name off? Yeah. That's a really fun idea. <laughs> Although you wouldn't want it to be not Mac, Mac-, Mac- McDonald at the same yeah. time. Mm. True. Yes. Yeah. I've always found it weird how they've given McIntyre pale makeup, but only on his face, not on his neck. <laughs> it's like he just turns his head. It's like, it's like the illusion's broken. Trying to do the thing which Doug alluded to in a tweet yesterday, actually, of um, how they wanted to do black and white holograms originally. Mm. It's like that was like they're trying to make him look black and white through. I, I imagine that was a, a confused message given to the makeup. Yeah. Uh, department who went um uh, making look okay. dead that, that, <laughs> I, on that black and white holograms idea has always been terrible and I don't mean from an effects point of view blah 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 I just mean you would Rimmer would be at such a remove yeah visually from the rest you don't want him to be black and white and to him not look like he's part of everything else I don't think it would work yeah that, that's not the joke Rimmer Rimmer is just very few jokes in Red Dwarf are about Rimmer being a hologram. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Wickham says, if it had been Ronnie Barker, I wonder how Skipper would have turned out in that reality. Well, yeah, they, you they, can't bring him back. Well, they just wouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, they could have done it with CGI. <laughs> the CGI Moth, Ronnie Barker. Moff Tarkin yeah. style. Well, yeah. if, if they'd originally cast Bob Monkhouse, there's already a CGR Bob Monkhouse hanging That's around. That's true. <laughs> there's one in the library. Uh, How would he get to this information during the exam? <laughs> <laughs> Take his trousers off. <laughs> this is a joke that was 
originally in one of the Freshers sketches on some uh, cliche of copying the textbooks into your body and doing a funny little dance and fainting and all that. Um, yeah, I agree with Pendo. Um, Chris Barry had good thighs. <laughs> Cracking pins. He may, he may still have sexy thighs. He might. For all we know. Sexy he doesn't thighs. get them out anymore. No, he doesn't. We are Ganymede and Titan, we demand Chris Berry's thighs. We do. <laughs> also, did he write that on his leg himself, or did a makeup person have to get that close to the crotch? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he probably did it. That's where, that's where the quadratics are. <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke, couple of blanks. It gets no reaction at all from the audience, <laughs> but it's great. Well, the audience were even at this stage, even you know, in the scenes that were remounted, were people that had just been pulled in from the streets and from the local pubs. <laughs> they were not necessarily on the ball. Again, though, time. think about the practicality of that. You've just drawn on your ass, and then you're in an exam. Oh yeah, this one's on my left well, arse. That's cheek. why he didn't. That's why he didn't do it. And uh, you put a boiler suit on. I know, and he just covers himself <laughs> up, makes it so much harder for himself. <laughs> Fucking idiot. The thing is, though, because it's Todd Hunter invigilating. I don't think Todd Hunter cares enough about his job to stop for enough from cheating. He's probably well aware. I mean, he, obviously, he's, he's sat in on 11 other exams that he's tried doing it. Because when just... one of your students faints in the middle of the exam hall, all he does is look up and goes, mm, whatever, it's not, <laughs> and carries on writing. It's more the fact that say, like, oh, again. Again, yeah. yeah. Well, but oh, I think you. He, he wouldn't stop him cheating, I guarantee. No, not at all. He's probably yeah. well aware of what he's doing, just thinking, you know, we'll just we'll just run through the motions. But he knows Rim is such a moron that yeah. he's just even if he cheats, yeah. he's still not going to pass. Now, as a cat owner, that is not a happy cat <laughs> <laughs> in any way whatsoever. Bollock, bollock alert. We are oh, going to meet in Titan and we demand footage of the take where Craig Charles's testicle falls out. <laughs> and oh. Isn't it in the deleted scenes, or it's is it that, not? It's quite? definitely there. There's definitely some. Lump. They should um, when they do the. Blu-ray that's uh, being rumoured to come out. <laughs> they should do a special close-up. I should do a Mo- 3D conversion where you can park your eye out. Modems and speaking slide rules. I I enjoy that. Uh, speaking slide rule. I enjoy that idea of the future. It's it's nice to see these ideas of the future. <laughs> I really like that font on the teaching room. Yeah. And they. Um, tape Ching reels. Room. Uh, aching aching, aching room. room <laughs> <laughs> Jason Smedley asks what's he doing when he blows on the paper and I think it's that he thinks that there may be two sheets but I don't think a lot of this really comes across very clearly it's very much in the book that he in the book yeah yeah. I was about to say from his point of view and here when I first watched this I was always confused by that shot because I thought he was in pain yeah. Oh right! I thought emotional it, pain. Well, no, I th- yeah, I thought she was in physical pain because all hairs had got trapped on his oh, arm. Okay, it did. Yeah, I think I thought that at first. I think he sounds like Chris Barry. Yeah. <laughs> it does look a lot like his. Doesn't arm. it? Yeah. <laughs> and he's gone. <laughs> the bloke next to him. <laughs> Whatever. That one of those guys looks like O'Reilly's uh, builders. One of O'Reilly's builders in Fox Towers. I presume it isn't. I do like a woman with spirit. <laughs> here's our woman with spirit. <laughs> and here's Claire Grogan. <laughs> Where it's always said Captain's Office. Sad mate. 
I don't like Claire Grogan as Kachansky. There, I said it. We all know. For the last 15 years. I don't like, yeah. I don't. Stay constant, I'll give you due. Let's face it, she's. Yeah, I don't like her and I don't like. Chloe and I, I don't think any incarnation has worked. No, yeah. I, what about I, Alexandra Pig? <laughs> <laughs> the best performance, certainly. So, no. do you reckon Donna De Stefano? Do you reckon that picture behind the captain is a set diagram? I don't know. It, it looks look, a bit complicated. It? Yeah. it looks like a map. It's it's yeah. some sort of blueprint. Yeah. Well, consensus it's has been formed. Yeah. It's complicated. It's, yeah, it definitely looks like some sort of technical some sort drawing. Of He's got a couple of um, floppy disk boxes behind him. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Oh, yeah. I never Lock- noticed those before. As well. That's God, where so. all his most important confidential files are on some <laughs> floppy disks. So, am I right in thinking that those coloured, um, what are the, the disk things, the coloured... Um, Boxes from one-inch tapes. But that's the stuff that Rob and Doug got added to the set yeah. to add some colour. Yeah, that was the colour that they got as a request. Yeah, they were like, "Oh, we want colour." I'll give them that. And the, and, the, and don't forget the white and green cables that are hanging down from the back. There. <laughs> That's the other bit of colour they are currently jiggling one of my terminals. <laughs> they shouldn't have gotten rid of that. <laughs> we'll come to that. It seems that some people are actually watching the remastered version. Oh, why? <laughs> what? Because they were mentioning the dog's back of his head earlier. Oh. So they seem to only have the remastered one. If you do, shame on you. Well, well also, it'll be a be in this day and age. Is it the? It's not the remastered one on Netflix, is it? It's the original. No, on Netflix. it is the original. So you unless, have to unless they're watching snatch. the Body Snatcher collection. Then what are they doing? <laughs> I think it went white well. <laughs> <laughs> um, at some point, there'll be an article on Ganymede and Titan where I talk about all these different corridors we're seeing because different elements of these corridors show up throughout the two series <laughs> and it's really interesting how they basically pick and choose different bits to create different parts of the ship so that's your teaser for uh, later this year <laughs> yeah, folks. exciting I like the way that Tortanta kind of gets carried away with explaining this idea is <laughs> Robert Bathurst getting carried away with realising oh fuck I finally made it to the end of the speech <laughs> Like that blue thing on the end there you see next to the cinema later on in the series. That blue crisscross. Uh, people are now discussing in the comments which of the various Kachanskis they'd fuck, marry or kill. So things are going well. <laughs> well. <laughs> First ever live commentary, folks. Uh, well, it's fitting. I mean, she she does exist as a sexual object, really. A woman of fantasy. A woman. A woman. Those women with their things. This scene recreated nearly 30 years later. So, there's the weird thing here where you see him wandering through the set. So, he comes out of stasis, and despite this ship being huge, stasis just happens to be right near the exam <laughs> Which doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. Maybe, yeah, maybe almost all of Red Dwarf is storage at this point. I've just realised something that I don't think I've ever noticed before. Why is there a pile of powder on Rimmer's desk he wouldn't have been there? Ah, well, that <laughs> depends on whether you think that the accident happened on the same day that Lister went into stasis. Ah, yeah, yeah okay. Because it could be that there was another class going on in the teaching ah, okay. room. That's fine. That's a on. whole sequ- uh, prequel series <coughs> yes, between you... the ac- yeah, yeah, yeah. stasis and the accident. Presumably... Oh, wow. Yeah, Rimmer 
fails to fix the drive plate after he recovers from. The yeah, oh, that's why exam. he can't. That's why he didn't do it because he was because he was zonked out from the yes. from the drugs. Uh... I have to say, much as I love the sets in series one and two, those panels are my <laughs> favourite. <laughs> yeah, parts of it. They're quite Star Trekky, aren't they? Yeah, really kind of Tonka toy Fisher Price Star Trekian. <laughs> Yeah, it's, what, are the, what are their functions in the story? What do they do? Don't know. Because actually, the thing about the grey sets is they look very realistic and very convincing yeah. to me, and they don't. Yeah. There's no blinking or flashing, it's just on. Yeah. That's it. It's as simple as you can get. And there's no labels. I mean, <laughs> it's a you, the UI is does. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy the clipboard recreation in uh, Skipper. That was my yeah. favourite. Bit of yeah, I was I was, was genuinely good. happy about that because I was like, "That's that's genuine effort right there." Because yeah, that's that that's good. something they could have easily have just not bothered with, it's, and they totally did it. It's not a particularly iconic image of Series One. No. A clipboard. It's something a fan would notice. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's something a fan would be appreciating. That's why, and I'm glad that's why they did it. Has Capsy gone? Uh oh. Oh well. <laughs> Sorry, Caps. We'll try and get Kepsi back at some point in the future. Little white dog. If we can even be bothered. <laughs> He's dead, Dave. Everyone's dead. <laughs> I mean, why did they pixelate Norman Levitt so much? <laughs> it, it annoys me in Series 1 because it varies so much. When yeah, I know, I know. I, I mean, the solution to that is not to, ten years later, re-record all his lines and pop <laughs> them in higgledy-biggledy. Well, actually, the solution would... No, you see, I bet you that pixelation was actually done live. They probably don't yeah. have a, a version yeah. without it. Um, which is not Barry, how you do it. Then. Barry does very well with the icy fury <laughs> um, about being dead. I mean, death, it's like being on a holiday with a group of Germans, is very racist. <laughs> yeah, is it better or worse than is like being at an Amish bachelor party? <laughs> which is the equivalent in Red Dwarf USA but then Amish people choose to be Amish German people don't choose to be Germans <laughs> they're selected they by God those things anyway <laughs> <coughs> um, yeah Wimmer's been really unfair here well he is just recently killed but yeah well, well, not, well not recently, not recently. Killed. from his perspective <laughs> Unless they turned him on three million years ago, he's been on his own ever since. And he does have a point that smoking in the drive room is probably not a good idea. <laughs> but there's no loads of smoke in the drive room when we see it earlier on. Yeah. Or is that smoke from the consoles because Capsi's fucking everything up? Well, Capsi's dropped off the call now. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things we were. <laughs> Danny and I were watching an episode of Family Fortunes earlier. Good. <laughs> Early Les Dennis era. And one of the um, questions on it was, um, name a place where smoking should be banned. And oh, you yeah. couldn't ask that question because it already is banned everywhere. Yeah, like cinemas. Like, who the fuck yeah. smoking in the cinema, you pricks? That's a weirdly political question for Family Fortunes. <laughs> Not that any of that's to do with Red Dwarf, but that's a controversial issue. Um, I like tackle. how from a automatically starts to ask or demand that Lister help him yeah. as a hologram that he just feels it's his right 
for, for Lister. But why wouldn't you be doing why this? Why wouldn't yeah. you help me? Why wouldn't you be my servant? Yeah, he seems to think that he can still pull the second slash first technician rank when the entire human race is dead. Quite. <laughs> not, um, not Lister's priority. But yes, that, that was very rimmer. <laughs> Uh, Flapjack says uh, there are questions being posed here which have yet to be answered. What is an iguana? <laughs> it's a reptile. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> See. If you look at that shot, the lighting there is beautiful on that right-hand side mm. through the ground. And actually, much as I love the sets, and I do, I think if you hadn't had uh, Pomfrey doing the lighting, if you'd had a less skilled lighting director, That's... it would not have sold so those sets can, in the way it does. He can do his shadow being. Um, oh, yeah, it has, a, it has a story reason as well. Yes. But they add a lot of texture to the sets that even yes. I would admit are not is not quite there. And it is the oh, exact that same. that does actually wobble. Now, <laughs> on the left there, can you see all that dust there? That dust is there because this was shot after um, Waiting for God, where they put all the dust all over that bit of the wall uh, to indicate they're going deep into the bowels of the ship. So that's Whereas why here, all that dust is they're just outside the drive room. Yeah, and this is this is new, all newly shot. So that's why all that dust is there, because it's supposed to be indicating they're going into the bowels of the ship. And they never brushed it off. I always get confused about the geography of this anyway. It doesn't make sense. Because, it, yeah, it's never consistent from episode to episode. There's a cut coming up where it cuts from here to the sleeping quarters. And be- because it it kind of, there's no transition between the scenes, it cuts from a close-up to a close-up. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't look like a different scene. So I thought that somehow they were, they combined the two rooms. <laughs> Yeah, they do a better job later on of separating the rooms out with corridors. You never really feel... You feel the studio geography a little too much in yeah. Series 1, I think, in a way that you don't say in if you take 10. Or even if you take 3. three. I haven't got to grips with how the studio was laid out in Series 3, but I kind of can figure out how it is in Series 1. Yeah, it's all there. Yeah, it's all there in front of you, really. Not like I'm complaining because I want to know. <laughs> that, that white guitar has always <laughs> bugged me. It just looks rubbish. <laughs> Why would you want a white guitar? They're gone. Are they dead? Are they left you? Is it white or is it just? I thought it was silver, but shiny. Silver, very shiny. That's catching the light. Yeah. I'm thinking of um, um, Confidence and Paranoia. Mm. When he's playing, I'm sure it's a silver guitar, but I might be wrong. <laughs> that's a great shot so it's a good eyebrow <laughs> and actually to be fair a very quick shot as well like, it's not mm. over laboured it's no. just god this has gone fast yeah. this is a half hour yeah, we're at the end which kind yeah. of is its own uh... should we just do the whole series but it is actually it is one of the longer episodes of Red Dwarf isn't it it's right up to the 30 minute mark I mm. think uh, obviously including titles and credits I do like big <coughs> Tom on Tyson. Um, <laughs> so I've heard. I, I do think the cat wouldn't have said kitty school because why would he say kitty school? Because <laughs> I, I go to baby school. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> yeah. 
day from Jonathan Capps. His Skype is broken. He's trying to reboot and come back, but uh, <laughs> uh, never mind. Live television, everyone. Uh, uh, and then the end ends with the beginning, which is the end. That is. The it's beginning. a really weird freeze frame, isn't it? It like slows down and freezes. It's always a little. Yeah, I assume a kind of limitation of the time. Rushed well, night, I enjoyed that. That's good. I enjoyed that. It is. I think it is a very good uh, piece of television. Uh, I think it is a, a good slice of uh, half-hour sitcom. But in the Red Dwarf pantheon, it's difficult. It is. It is. It's, it's difficult because it's so different. It's not even. It's not comparing like for like to to compare it to any other Red Dwarf episode. So it's it's hard for me to. Place. I find the I find the debate about whether you start people with this episode mm. when it comes to Red Dwarf an interesting one because for me it would seem the obvious choice because that, that sets up the series that's what you've got um, but some people have differing views on that yeah I <laughs> I would it depends maybe on how much you think it, it's going to be a different choice for different people I think I mean the purest part of me wants to say well, if they watch the end and don't like it, they don't deserve the rest of the series. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's no, it's no skin off my nose as to whether people like or don't like Red Dwarf at this point because Red Dwarf's proved itself. Yeah. So Red Dwarf does not need additional fans. If there was a show where I... If anything, I'd like to get rid of a few. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, if, if, if it was a show where I really thought it was underrated but I didn't think the first episode was the right one, it would be something where I'd give it more consideration. Mm. But as it is, it's like... You can like it or lump it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we're different in that there is no one in our lives that doesn't already know Red Dwarf <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. We're never going to introduce it to everyone because we just don't have time for anyone that it needs introducing to. Oh, uh, indeed. Uh, anyway, on that note... <laughs> that's, the end of that uh, that's the end of That's the end of the commentary bit. Uh, and next up, it's time for Ganymede and Titan Unplanned. We are now opening up our Skype lines. Uh, Joe is going to be uh, Roz from Frasier. <laughs> um, everyone is welcome. Uh, so add Ian Ian Symes, that's two Ians, and then S-Y-M-E-S as a contact on Skype. And ring us now. Or, if you don't fancy calling in, uh, let us know in our chat room what topics you'd like us to discuss for the last part of the show. Uh, while we wait for the callers and the topics to flood in, here's a submission uh, from a G&T regular to kick things off. Uh, John's Mad, uh, a.k.a. Jonathan Young, has decided to celebrate the 30th anniversary in the best way he knows how, with a parody of something from the 1980s. Here is just a snippet of John's dwarfy version of We Didn't Start the Fire. Everybody's dead today, future self, close shave, learning drugs, quagars, great double rimsy, androids, TIV, plastic cast memory, honeymoon with Kachansky for full male pregnancy. We didn't start the fire, radiation burning on a ship not mining, we've got all the DVD. God, they're not remastered, that would have been a bastard Christmas episode, brand new Dave episodes Nineties later, the creator, Carver, Coronation Street Trojan predictions, Taiwan, Sony, Jesus Christ Quantum, green screen, simulant, deathly Pinewood, Einstein, insane, karma drive, barbershop Cridey, Prince of Hedgehog in a top hat We didn't start the fire 
Once again it's burning and high ratings earning We didn't start the fire But we'll always vote it Come here what took notice Adolf in the mech therapy Pink please mechocracy Listen to my Harley rap Crowdy where my dinner at Pearl pole on TNT Intense fan scrutiny Criticise immensely But always repeat on your TV Mirag, Melby B, all the people not here to see. Red Dwarf at 13. Rest in your jeeps peacefully. Chris and Craig and Dan and Rob, Norman Hattie, Rob and Doug, all the cast and all the crew. One big heartfelt thank you. Start the fire, radiation burning on a ship you're mining. We didn't start the fire, we hope it still burns on and on and on and on. Plosh. Chris has just gone. Right, uh, we're back. We're live. This is going to be entitled Unplanned. <laughs> and none of us were paying attention to when the song was about to finish. It's fine. Because we're playing about on Skype. Chris's Wi-Fi fucked up. Oh, no. So... Uh, do we... We have a, a caller, I believe, waiting on, on Skype. Yes, we have uh, Abe. Abe. And I can unmute it. Um, there we go. <laughs> hey, right. Abe. Hello, Abe. Hello. Hello, Hello Abe. Hello. You're live Hi, on a shitty I'm radio show. Not planning on being the first person, so uh. <laughs> no, we had someone else lined up, and then they lost their connection. So, hi, Abe. Hello. Are you from Hello. Are you from America? Yes, I'm from Colorado. You guys probably know me as Flannel Three. Oh, ah, yes, we do. I've seen you talking put, on I'm here. I'm sorry. My first episode. <laughs> You put Samsara as your best episode? Yes. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I just like it as much as any of the rest. Fair enough. A bit more, I guess. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just don't quite agree. <laughs> uh, so, how how else are you... Uh, how, how else... Did you think of the? This is a really good sentence. What, <laughs> what else did you think of the uh, poll poll results? Uh, like Samsara is quite low, but um, how did the rest of yours compare? I mean, I think I had three from eleven and twelve in my top ten, and I knew that would be that would definitely be not as popular as total opinion, but. I was still disappointed to see only one in the top 36. Yeah. It is a shame. I think, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the G&T regulars will have put the new episodes higher, but just in comparison to the rest, they just all got dragged down. I mean, 11 and 12 are really the first ones that I got to experience, like, watching them as they came out with the rest of everybody else. So they're also... They have that value for me, yeah. I guess. Well, that's the whole thing about the poll, isn't it? That it is so subjective. And they mean a lot to you, so that so it's only right that you should put them high. Yeah. I mean, just out of interest, what was the first episode of Red Dwarf you, you saw? Balance of Power, actually. Oh, okay. Ah. And was that, was, that, was, that, that was a repeat? Or was that... That was... My friend was watching it on Netflix and I walked in. Oh, okay. So how long ago was that? That was... What, that would be four years now? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so... So, sort of, your sort of newest first episode would have been around the sort of Dave era, really. 
Yeah. Okay. And I watched Twentika and Samsara at the same time to start with, and so I just like Samsara more. I guess it sort of has that power to it as well. That's interesting that, yeah, one of the first episodes you saw ended up being your all-time favourite, because that happened to me as well, but the first episode I saw was Back to Reality, so it's <laughs> kind of a more conventional favourite episode to have. I think it's it's why a lot of Series 3 episodes are my favourites, because it, was seri- it wasn't the first series I saw, but it was the first series where it just clicked right into place for me, and I was a, a, the right age for it. Yeah. It's yeah. It is. It's it's. It seems to be that most people's kind of first episode seems to cement themselves as kind of their, at least among their top ten episodes just because of that the reaction you get to it. Apart from the fact that my first episode was the end and I voted that thirty fifth. <laughs> <laughs> well, John you're is... not the same as everyone else. John. You're Always the exception to every rule. <laughs> but yes, I think obviously. it's inevitable with a series like Red Dwarf, which does sort of get you in a special kind of place usually, mm. that you're going to have certain. You're going to have nostalgia, or you're going to have warm feelings, or you know stuff that is that is going to be different for everyone because it's been going for such a long time. And also, there is the thing with Red Dwarf that the each even each series is so different. Even if you take series one and series two, they are very different series. Um, and it's not like sitting there watching, say, you know, George and Mildred, where all five series are kind of the same thing. Yeah. It doesn't really change much. You're always talking about George and Mildred. I know, it's, it's, my, it's my standard thing. <laughs> if I could compare it to a, a more recent sitcom, Joe and I have... Well, Joe's already seen it, but um, I've started watching... Joe started re-watching The Good Place. Uh, and I was about to say The Good Life, which is what I always call it. But <laughs> it's a different programme. The Good Place. And the way that moves on and develops the plot is absolutely like breakneck speed. The episodes are only very short, but the you know by the end of the first series, the premise is completely different <coughs> from what it was at the start. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and you know that there's more series to come, and that it's continually developing and developing, and so something like that—that's almost the opposite. Uh, problem like Red Dwarf somewhere in the middle of George and Mildred and the Good Place <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> Uh, in that that moves so quickly that it's hard to distinguish and between the kind of quality that. comedy criticism. <laughs> you aren't going to hear that sentence anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for uh, calling in, uh, Flannel3. Uh, thanks for being uh, accidentally our first caller and coming on air with absolutely no warning whatsoever. Uh, thanks very much yeah. for calling in. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. So, a tweet came in... Um, We'll just, uh, yeah, we'll do a tweet. A tweet came in from Sketchy Magpie earlier uh, asking, in the poll, how many of the lower ranked episodes do you think Can't Smeg, Won't Smeg would have uh, beaten if it was eligible? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Is Can't oh. Smeg, Won't Smeg better or worse than uh, Time well, Wave? Or oh, it's Wave? better. Yeah. Can't Smeg, Won't Smeg is definitely better than Time Wave. <coughs> better than Series 7. I would argue better than Series 8. Yeah, <laughs> um, bits of it, I mean, there is also. I would argue better than Back to Earth. <laughs> I think the the scripted bits of Can't Smoke, Won't Smoke are worse than most of the most of seven and eight. But the unscripted bits are actually quite funny. But also bear in mind that Can't Smoke, Won't Smoke is aiming lower. Yes. <laughs> Therefore, it's not as much of a shortfall if it doesn't manage to reach the heights. I I would put 
universe challenge quite high up. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, maybe we should think about a poll for all the spin-off. I was thinking, yeah, because that's Red Dwarf is more than just the seventy-three episodes. That's yeah. true. Um, <laughs> should we do a poll for which chapter of each novel is best? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Go through it like that. Um, I hate to drag George Miltry back into this, but <laughs> this is not me. This is not me. AJ Hall's comment that they were, they were frightened of Mildred when they were a kid because their mum kept telling them that Euphor Joyce was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, a terrible thing to do to a child. Should we have another uh, Skype? I think we've discussed that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, coming up on Skype, uh, we believe, we have Nikki Hutchinson. Nikki, are you there? Yeah. Oh, sorry, yes. Yes, yeah, sorry. Hello. 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 Hi. Hello. Uh, Hello. I'm guessing your name's Nikki. Yeah. Where are you from? <laughs> um, I'm just outside of York, actually. Yeah. Good. That is from Yorkshire. Those radio phones are harder than they look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what have you, uh, what have you called in to talk about, Nikki? Um, well, a few things. I mean, uh, like you said earlier, I was surprised actually that Timeway was low, but I was I was surprised it actually wasn't bottom <laughs> in the whole yes. thing. <laughs> Joe's on your side on that one. I don't know. I think I put it. The two that I put bottom were Crikey TV and Time Wave. Right. And what I was. The reason that I thought those two were lower than all the others is because a lot of the others are crap, but mm. they, they're they not based on a premise that fundamentally offends me. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. Time Wave and Crikey TV are. Crikey TV is about <laughs> okay, how objectifying women is fine and yeah, profiting yeah. from it is okay and also some stuff about trans people which doesn't stand up very well 20 years uh, later yeah I mean for me I mean I definitely you know I could totally sympathise with that I mean for me it was just like it's not that it was it's funny because when I look at it it definitely sums up a lot of what series 12 is it's like it's a very oddball series and that's definitely the oddest one yeah but it's not the, definitely not the best um, but I just didn't find it that entertaining that was the really the worst thing I could say about it I would argue the premise isn't necessarily the problem. Oh, it's oh, yeah, the, no, the execution. Is, sorry, the, the, the premise. premise is good. I think the premise is really good. Like you said, I just it could have felt a little bit more in depth with it, or just different types of jokes they could do with it. Yeah, it's it's the execution. It's the if they hadn't have made the choices that they made to make everyone pink and, and <laughs> men wearing dresses and stuff like that. If the accidental implication there that 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 is something wrong that shouldn't yeah. be done yeah. wasn't there, if it if it wasn't the fact that it was men wearing dresses or men wearing pink that was the problem, yeah. and it, it's it's just the fact that how many people did that go through that no one raised and went, hang on. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's one that people kind oh, of like, you don't want to second guess decisions that have been made, but no, nobody on the. It's funny because even in the making of nobody questioned any of that. They just went on thinking, oh, it was a guy in a funny. Alpha, alright, nobody questioned anything, they just got on with it. I think there's a tendency to kind of get carried away in thinking, oh, that's funny, and not mm. actually think about what it's saying, which is, you know, it's has has its advantages and disadvantages. I mean, you, I always I find myself arguing the opposite of what I, I, <laughs> I, I used to argue a lot, sort of, ten years ago, that comedy should yeah. be completely free and off-limits and you shouldn't worry about what you're saying and comedy can do what it wants. Mm. I think that's still true, 
that nothing is off limits and every subject can be made funny in a, in a way mm-hmm. that is not offensive and is and is good and pure. Mm. And if people do get offended by it, then that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. But <laughs> it has to be done right. <laughs> yeah, that, I was going to say that. that. Yeah, if it's not, if you don't laugh at it, then you just go, "Hang on a minute." Mm. Mm. There has to be an element of calculated offensive. Yes. I want to know that they're doing it deliberately. Yes. And actually, my big <laughs> problem with Time Wave is I don't think they knew what they were doing. An example I often use is Frankie Boyle, a few years ago, got into trouble um, and two separate things at around the same time. One of them was for using a racial slur in a sketch where he was a newsreader. And the other one was for making fun of Harvey Price, uh, Katie Price's son. I think he was entirely justified to use a racial slur in a scripted piece that was making a strong satirical point about the way that the news is reported. But he wasn't right to mock a disabled child for being disabled. And that was the difference that people didn't seem to pick up on, is that there's a reason and a justification for one but not the other. Yeah. And people are mentioning Taiwan Tony in the comments in relation to <laughs> oh, yeah, really? God, <laughs> No. I was going to say, I mean, I know um, for ages when I talk to my friends about the Taiwan Tony thing, we never think about it. But after hearing your views, I was like, OK, I could definitely see why some people would say that the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it is very similar to Time Wave in that it's not necessarily the joke, it's the execution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, enough politics. Um, yes. <laughs> now, um, actually, one question I want to ask you lot is um, particularly to do with the comics from the Red Dwarfs magazine. Um, particularly, was there any story that you felt from there that, oh, that'd be great as a Red Dwarf episode? Ooh. And was there a particularly an artist that you've liked in any of them? Now, haven't you been looking at the comics recently? Aren't you going to be writing uh, something on it? Not that recently. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in the Recently for g yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> When I... We, it was about... A, Two years ago, we published this magazine catalogue, yeah. and for that, I reread all the comic strips and made a few notes. Uh, for the life of me, I can't bloody remember them. But one of my favourite ones is um, Ace of the Rovers, which is just a stunning piece of work that parodies Roy of the Rovers, um, like the current style of Roy of the Rovers at the time of the mid nineties, just absolutely perfectly with Ace as Roy Race. Um, <laughs> And I don't know whether, it, like, Seb Patrick, is, if he's listening, will be screaming out all the facts in his little head. Um, <laughs> but he, it, it's either the same artist or someone who had worked with the same artist that was doing it at the time, and that really... Um, he out. says it was John Rusby, if I'm saying that right. Good. <laughs> Good <Right>. facts. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I will take that as true. <laughs> I have okay. no reason to do that. Yeah. Um, thing, sorry. Yeah, there was... There was a, I think a two or three part comic strip that dealt with the cat race and what happened to the other arc that I thought was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and one where they go back to, they find Red Dwarf. I think it was quite a later one. It must have been a later one if it was set in the Series 6 era. Because it mm. was they, they catch up with Red Dwarf, but really it's a giant polymorph that is, yeah. is going to eat them all. That was good. <laughs> I remember that one. That would be a more satisfying sequel to Polymorph than we got, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> than the one at the end of Eleven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, actually, two other things about the comic, actually. One is, I actually met up with one of the artists who did the one where they all turn into different appliances. Oh, yeah. Back. I remember that one. Just about. Yeah, so... Crichton is a giant mop. 
Yes, exactly. I met up and he had some of the original um, pages of it. I think someone bought them and I think maybe told them on the, the forms on your site. And the other funny thing is that I know somebody put it on the board about Nigel Kitching, who also works on it, um, yes. who did some of the comic. Um, or he put this in a weird way. He ended up becoming my tutor at Teesside University. Yeah. Um, oh, I went to Teesside University and failed. Oh, did you? Yeah, carry on. <laughs> I, I went there for a year, did nothing, <laughs> failed, went back for a second year, did nothing again, failed, and I've only just finished paying off my student loan. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Capsi oh, also God, went to Teesside oh, University. Oh, 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 a guy turning up one saying, what have you done? Nothing? Yeah, right. nothing. No. Fuck all. <laughs> yeah, anyway. was a lot more successful at Teesside University. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, um, anyway, yeah, like I said, I met it. You know, I met him. I was just surprised that he did that. In fact, one, two stories with him quickly. One, um, he gave us a brief to do a panel of a guy in a bar, and somebody was saying, "What's up with you?" And nothing, blah blah blah. And he pulls this thing off. It's like, "Oh, it's you." And I read this and thinking, "Hang on a minute, this is from some of the comic." And he said it was true. It was the whole scene about, you know, Sonic's hiding in the bar, you know, they pull his coat off, and then he ends up turning supersonic and then, in his own way, trying to massacre everyone. <laughs> because in the in the comic universe, uh, supersonic is basically a genocidal maniac. No yeah. offense. Yeah, he's a psycho. Yeah. Uh, so it's just great. And I also told him about the, um, like I said on the phone, somebody talked about the subject about some references to Red Dwarf, and I said, is any of this true? And he said, mm, most of it. Hmm. Got a few bits wrong, but he got most of them right. Cool. So some of the comic stuff is kind of... <laughs> yeah, cool. We'll take that. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, the Smeg... The we were just... Were we talking off-air or were we talking on-air about how um, the Red Dwarf is so much more than just the 73 episodes? And the Smegazine comics in particular are this... It's this whole raft of information, if, if you know, stories that are there... Semi-officially, not properly officially, and they, as the as the magazine got bigger and bigger, and they had more and more, you know, different mini running strips to fill up. It, a lot of mm-hmm. it got quite off-brand. <laughs> <laughs> the Mister Flibble adventures were just absolute uh, filth. Jake Bullock, that was one. Yeah, yeah. This whole the Jake Bullock multi-part. Uh, mystery thing. There was some inquisitor ones that were quite dark, and some that were quite <laughs> satirical. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, there was one that it, it turned out that the inquisitor murdered um, Robert Maxwell. <laughs> what? <laughs> Pushed him off his boat. <laughs> you see, that, that, that's the interesting thing because the the thing about Red Dwarf is, that unlike a lot of shows, it never, at least on screen, feels like a universe that you would want to have a spin-off series set in. No, but. The magazine seems to be the exception to that, where they really did start building. It was, I think, it coincided. Well, it's it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. The the magazine was going at the time, and so they plucked what was recent and and tried to expand it. Or was mm. it that series five was particularly rich, and series sort of four, five, and six were particularly rich with things that you could do a spin off of? So Certainly four and five. You had Dwayne and Jake both had their own uh, strips. The Inquisitor had a running strip. Mr. Flibble did. Um, Ace Rimmer did, obviously. Um, wasn't there... Oh, yeah, there was also a strip that was based on the Mimus, the version of Mimus that's in... Yes, it was a, an adaptation of, like, from the novel, wasn't it? Yeah. 
a comic strip version of that world that didn't feature Lister, Rimmer, etc. It was just set in the world of Mimus at that time. Well, I would consider Can of Worms to be one of those stories that would completely be fine in this magazine, but the fact that it's one of those kind of really batshit ideas, you're just thinking, oh, that's weird, and it would seem it would feel much better if it was in a comic form than if it was an actual. Well, that's in, yeah, maybe you know, meeting a sentient version of the universe. And talking to it and having a conversation with it about how it's going to die is more of a comic book idea, and yet that one works quite well. Yeah, I quite, in our yeah. opinion. Yeah, and they are a bit of a kind of lost. I mean, I I haven't read any of them actually. I've just this been a long time. They really are a kind of lost piece of yeah. uh, Red Dwarf lore. And yeah, this magazine just burnt so brightly and had such an impact that we're still talking about it. It ran for not that long, really. Yeah, but no, I, just, I remember. Sorry. Yeah, go on, Nicky. I was going to say, I remember they were in stores for a while, again, when I was getting some of the comic, how coincidental. Um, but again, it was something I remember my sister Jade, who got me into Red Dwarf, used to collect. So, I, again, it's one of those things I think, you're right, it came and went, and it's surprising people still have that strong memory of it, even today. Yeah. And it's weird, because if you, the highest audience figures Red Dwarf ever had was for series eight. Yeah, seven and eight. You can't imagine Smegazine existing when Red Dwarf Eight was on. It feels like a different world. It is well, yeah, it's a very specific time in history where a magazine could stand a chance of launching and being profitable. Mm. Sorry, I burped during that. <laughs> We've had a few <laughs> drinks tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I was going to say the nearest I would say was probably the Robert Wars magazine. I've still got the whole collection of that thing. <laughs> Spinner <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, we would like to try and get Capsie back on the line, so we'll say goodbye to you now, uh, Nikki. Thanks so much for, uh, for thank calling you very much. In. Thank you very much. See you, Nikki. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um, what else? Um, <laughs> there was a comment. F one Smeghead um, left us a comment because they want to know how people gravitated to Red Dwarf, and what was the wow moment that kept them loyal for so long. Uh, we've already kind of talked a bit about how we, how we, some of us reached the episodes. Um, for me, it was Dwayne Dibley was the thing that got me hooked in, which is such a cliche, really. <laughs> <coughs> but I remember my sister was a fan. She borrowed a VHS from her friend, um, and she watched it with my parents, and I didn't watch it. Uh, and they were all going around the house doing these impressions of Dwayne Dibley like walking around and pulling silly faces and going Dwayne Dibley and I didn't know what they were talking about <laughs> so that that was what made me want to watch Red Dwarf and now they really regret ever impersonating <laughs> Dwayne Dibley I ruined their life by watching Red Dwarf non-stop for years Capsy Capsy hello yay <laughs> What's your, what was your fav- what was your episode of Red Dwarf that got you hooked oh so I, the first one I remember actually watching was um, Dimension Jump, I think. So the, the story goes on. My mum claims that she watched she watched it with me in the 80s during the original run. I'm not entirely sure if that's true or not. Um, but what I remember is I had a TV in my room when I was very young. Like, too young, really. Because <coughs> they, my, they got me a Commodore 64 because I had an interest in computers. And I worked out that if I turned the TV on, put all the, the, the um, 
picture picture settings down to zero, so it was completely black. The standby light wasn't on, so when Mum checked in on me, she could she would think the TV was completely turned <laughs> off at the wall. And I actually had a remote that would just press a button, reset it, and it would it would come on, so I could watch Red Dwarf rather than watch it taped later. So I watch it when as it went out. So I think Dimension Jump on broadcast was my earliest memory, specifically um, Ace laying out Crichton, which I think. John, that's when he yes, that's the very first yeah. bit of Red Dwarf I ever it, saw. That is weird. That's weird. Wow. That's really odd. I've yeah. been it's been this... exactly that moment. Yeah. Yeah. How has it taken us this long to work this out? Hooked, hooked. Like the the, re- the repeat run was like because mum mum said, oh by the way, Jonathan, it's start it's it's uh, they're repeating it right from the start again, and that's when everything kind of really kicks off, like to like obsessiveness yeah i think it's really easy to forget now we're familiar with the episodes what a striking look red dwarf has when you just turn it on and you're not expecting it Mm. um it looks like no other tv series and this actually comes back to what i always bang on about in terms of um blah 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 film look blah 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 i won't (laughs) go into that but the point is 11 10 11 12 look like a cheap sci-fi film and it looks less distinct than Red Dwarf looks earlier on. Because if you turn on a random shot of, say, Twentica, that just doesn't look as different to me, mm. to other is things. Is that because it's as not as different anymore? Sorry? Uh, is that mainly because it's not as different anymore in the wider scheme of things? Because in the early 90s, I, I mean, obviously sci-fi was around, but... I think it's partly that, and I think it's also partly that... Um, when something looks like an audience sitcom, there's plenty of audience sitcoms, but there are very few audience um, science fiction sitcoms, and that automatically makes it look completely different. Whereas if you're talking about the later ones, where it looks more filmic, the show doesn't look as distinct compared then, to other things. It's it's hard to put yourself in that position, but if you weren't familiar with Red Dwarf at all, I think that what it still has going for it, and will always have going for it, regardless of how it compares to the rest of the the TV pantheon in terms of looks and aesthetics. It has those four characters, and it's the it's a very cartoon-like thing yes. of having four characters that are completely distinct and distinguishable by a, a one physical characteristic. Yes, that's so Lister has is the guy with the dreadlocks, there's a guy with an H on his head, there's a guy with a square head, and then there's a guy with the teeth. And that will always be the case. And what? how many other sitcoms have that physical thing other than Futurama or The Simpsons or, you know, cartoons. You've, you've literally nailed it. Because yeah. there's a really good thing, like, there's a, a thing that's often with, like, like I say, with cartoons and kind of strong characters and, and identifiable characters is if they're identifiable by silhouette, then, you know, you've got a strong look and that's why Fry's got the two little things on his yeah. head and that kind of stuff. And Red Dwarf is no different. You you know, you watch, the, you watch that kind of stuff and you can see those characters in silhouette, you totally realise they're completely unique people. And, uh, yeah, I... Uh, I think it's some very strong characterizations. Don't get me wrong, I think Red Dwarf still looks distinct from a lot of other stuff on television. I just don't think it looks as distinct as it did. It especially looks distinct from something that's being made for a digital channel. Yes. <laughs> uh, on, you know, on a budget that is presumably not very com- comparable to the kind of shows that it's trying to look like. And that that's a, a further debate to be had about whether you should aspire to look like those shows when you don't have the resources to or should you concentrate <laughs> on being your own thing um, we are awaiting our next Skype caller do feel free to call in um, 
I'm Ian Ian Symes on Skype. Uh, in the meantime, I will read a tweet that's come out from Sir Patrick. Uh, oh, my gobshite. Not quite sure who he is. He says, hello, GNT. I can't dial in due to a sleeping child, but wanted to say hello on this special occasion. And if you want to read it out, saying that as what well, say that... As well as being the best TV show ever, Red Dwarf's existence means I met you all, my friends. So yay. Aww. Aww. Oh, for fuck's sake. Now, who feels bad about <laughs> joking, making a joke? God, I'm going to fucking vomit. <laughs> uh, uh, can it be true, though? We have a person. We have a Paul Muller. Oh, Maybe. I know him. I'm going can... to um, put you on hold, I'm afraid, Kebsy. <laughs> but he's also muted, so we can't hear him. Hello. Is that Paul Muller? Hello. Hello. Oh, hello, Paul. Hello. Hello from Canada. Yeah. Canada. Hello. What, what time is it in Canada land? It's uh, half two, very much in the middle of my working day. So <laughs> I'm just going to step away from the office for a moment. Um, yeah, no, I just thought it would be nice to... Nice to give you guys a bell. It's, it's nice to say hello. We were once on the same uh, pub quiz team together. Were we not? On the same what, sorry? Pub quiz team. Oh, God, yeah, we were. We absolutely fucking destroyed it. Yeah, we did. It was almost embarrassing, wasn't it? I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> no, I was quite um... comfortable. <laughs> there was, it was a, uh, a Red Dwarf-themed pub quiz uh, that was happening... Yeah, was wasn't Lee, somewhere... Lee Corns presenting it? Lee Corns was Is the that... host. Yeah. Um, attend- I think... no, remember, because I've, I've got a photo of me with him, and I've put on about three stones since then, so I just don't like to look at it. It's depressing. <laughs> um, no one likes to look at photos of Lee Corns. <laughs> but... Wasn't that one I couldn't get to, because I was stuck? You were stuck in traffic. No, I, I, was, I, was trying to get, I was trying to get there, but I was coming from my mum's yeah. like, train, and it was oh. snowed, and there was loads of train cancelled, and I was stuck in the middle of nowhere. Where's the place with all the roundabouts? Swindon. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I was oh, God. So you've been to Swindon? I've been to Swindon. <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, we went down, Lee Corns, Lee Corns was hosting, I think it was me, Capsy, Seb, uh, Paul, and... Uh, Bill Pearson there. Bill Pearson was there. Oh yeah, Alex Newsom yeah. was there. Possibly yeah. Joey. Um, but I don't think they were married at that point. Uh, anyway, <laughs> this is just. I just remember getting quite drunk because I think we got quite a lot of free booze out of it in the end. We did, yes, because we <laughs> we won by about thirty points, <laughs> and, and the top prize yeah, was like a bar tab. <laughs> I have to say, Paul, you really made me laugh the other day with your roses are red. Right. Uh, shall I read it out for everyone to do it now? Uh, it, Paul uh, did a screenshot of our recommendations and it was Roses are red, I made you a sandwich. The woman I work with was disgusted by the language. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Fisher Webboard. <laughs> Believe me, if there are any women within the vicinity of Liam, let's not go there. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Paul, I assume you didn't phone up to talk about a pub quiz from several years ago. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was a bit, a bit scary, wasn't it? Sorry about that. That was entirely... No, yeah, yeah. I'm blaming myself for this. Uh, was there anything you wanted to talk about in particular? No, no. no right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, well, I just, I just wanted to say, um, just a, well, thanks to you guys mainly, just for, for laying on this um, delicious feast of uh, Red Dwarf-related stuff. Yeah, sort of in lieu of, of any kind of official, you know, uh, pronouncements. It's, it's been really good to, to have that, and I can see you guys put a lot of effort into it. So, 
Cheers. We did get on the on the official front. There is a really really nice article uh, which was posted today by the official. Well, I mean, it's obviously like Doug's got it on his mind. He's been tweeting about it the last few days, but I mean, yeah. But like you say, you know, it's 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 not so much. I think maybe you know, ten fifteen years ago when there wasn't any new Red Dwarf, we hadn't just had two new series out. Yeah, and it was a bit more of a kind of a special occasion to have anything Red Dwarf related. Then it, it would have been more of a an anniversary, but I, I mean, it's just a thing now, isn't it? New, New Red Dwarf is just a thing which people kind of come to expect. It's weird, <laughs> so, isn't it? We, we've all assumed there was going to be a series thirteen. Yeah, I think for the first time since it came back, we've all assumed it will be coming back pretty mm. much definitely. We have no actual evidence. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Based on not. Well, we blind, have, blind it just face. feels. Um, all we have is people on uh, who are involved with the show saying we want to make more and they want us to make more which is all we've yeah. ever really had it's just that we believe in 2000 it. we always seen there's going to be a movie and the, you know yeah. <laughs> well i suppose yeah, what it seems not <laughs> and now it's come back what three times in a row yeah yeah i was thinking back yeah 10 years ago when we did the um the 20th anniversary maths there oh god um <laughs> Red Dwarf is dead. Oh, Jesus. Ten years ago. Yeah. Like, little did we know that it would be only just over a year until Back to Earth happened. But as far as we knew at that time, there was no prospect. Yeah, of God, I suppose it was. And it? when I did, I think it's me, bizarrely, who did the very first news story about all the inklings of Back to Earth coming back. But as I was writing it, I didn't believe it. No. I didn't believe it at all. I thought it was just a load of bullshit. Well, it would never happen. When GNT started in 2002, 2003... We were expecting to be doing coverage of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> the, the entire site was set up with a section called The Movie that we were expecting to keep updated with <laughs> and, constant updates. And a big article that I wrote saying it's going to be great. As why, I yeah, why the movie will definitely happen. The movie will be great. Yeah. Really, I mean, that's, that's not quite the kind of thing I write these days <laughs> on anything. There's a few more caveats these days. We've got our fingers <laughs> burned. I do wonder how much of the movie actually ended up getting cannibalised to make... It's interesting, you know, yeah. Back to Earth, series 10, 11, 12. The beginning, I feel like I think probably more than we know about it. We don't yeah. know the full story, do we? We don't know exactly no. what was taken. Not, not everything. Um, mm. It's mentioned on the documentaries that things were, uh, but yeah, we don't know the full extent. Uh, but then, I as, as people have pointed out, like how many, there were 50-something drafts of the movie scripts even if one version has been completely yeah. cannibalised, there's going to be stuff yeah, that that's written that's never going to see the light of day. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's a nice note. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I remember I can, thinking... I can talk, like, I can talk about the, the Pearl Pole rankings that you like. Oh, <laughs> uh, go on then. If you've got um, something to add. What, did you put the top? I, I, oh, God. Um, <laughs> I think it was Future Echoes, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, no, I tried. I tried not to just have. I tried not to divide it up, just so that it was all the top, you know, original thirty-six at the front and other stuff at the back. I tried to mix it in, and I think I did put some of um, eleven and twelve quite highly. Can't remember quite off the top of my head because I think I just did it in a bit of a rush quite early on. But yeah, it's a bit of a shame that none of those kind of made it in to the um, the top thirty, but. I think, like you say, is that it's. You, I think in the wider fan base, you still got a lot of people who <laughs> are maybe not prepared to I've look just, at 
the uh, kind of late later episodes of the same kind of slightly uncritical idea they did for the original ones. Uh, I've just found. So I'm talking you... more about the kind of people that are just like, oh shit, off to Rob Grantland, you know. Well, I, I've yeah, just sorry. I've just found your um, your submission to the Pearl Poll Paul in our list, and I hope you don't oh, mind me sharing that the the comment that you uh, sent alongside that your rankings was the words "fuck time wave." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, fuck time wave. And I stand by. Time wave is the, the exception to that particular rule. <laughs> Although you did, you. Oh, had... Don't be wrong. It's a horrible episode. Like, I stand by that. Absolutely. But you do like uh, quite a few of the other newer episodes because I've just seen that um, you put. Mcore as number six, and you put Skipper as Am number I? nine. Yeah, I don't remember. I kind of vaguely remember. I, I was drunk. Were you yeah, drunk? I thought it was good. <laughs> yes. thought no, it was good. Um, down the bottom, you're you kind know, of in line with the rest of the consensus. But yeah, up at the top, you've got some yeah. a lot of the newer episodes quite high up. Fair enough. On a new I really, high. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Oh, but you put Gunman of the Apocalypse forty fifth. Oh. This, is, this is the level that we've reached oh. on, on the podcast now. We're taking apart people's individual. I think that's why I just rushed it slightly. Into, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do um, think... It's good. It's, like, it's not one of my favourites. Like, it's a good episode. Um, do you know what I think it is? is I think because before I watched it, I'd read... Isn't it in one of the script books? Isn't it in um, Son of Soup or Primordial Soup or something? Uh, it's in Son of Soup, yes. Uh, I think that's what it is because I'd read it about 20 times before I even watched it. Ah, that's interesting. And I think in my head I kind of had a slightly different idea of how it Because Siren, be. Sirens was released in script form before it was on TV. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, yeah, before it aired. Yeah. <laughs> my, they released the book in advance of the series starting. Yeah. My thing with Gunman is, tell me what that episode's about. Other than larking around and having jokes, which is great. It's about rediscovering who you really are deep inside. <laughs> and, over, and overcoming <laughs> obstacles. crap. To do the right uh, thing and overpower evil. Rubbish! By shooting two bullets out of the air. <laughs> it's just a bit of a homage, isn't it? It's like a western homage, but you, you're right. Like, there's not a concise plot summary. I, I think it's very surface. Now, the surface is highly entertaining. Yeah. Actually, I, I put it higher than you did, but I don't think there's an awful lot of substance to Gunman. No. Yeah. It's good, though. It's nice allegory. It's, but, I mean, it's, it just goes to show that ranking 70-odd episodes in order is bloody difficult yeah. <laughs> in many ways it's unfair of us to ask <laughs> like the top tw- the top 15 and the bottom 15 quite easy and then that kind of middle that 40 middle bit is, is just yeah. where it gets really difficult yeah, to kind of knock together it's, it's interesting to think of where like, people will have different ideas about where the cut off point is between here are the shit episodes and here are the good ones mm. And so, for some people, they're ranking 36 episodes that they really love as to which is the best. But for some people, it's 50, 60, you know, even more, perhaps, episodes where it's like... For me, I went through and, and I figured out that I thought that there was about 14, 15 episodes that I'd classify as crap. And that the, <laughs> and that the rest are various levels of brilliant. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we're at the point people. where there's so many episodes now that you, you're going to have... There's no... Like you say, no clear, small kind of this is good, this is bad yeah. section. You've just got a big kind of giant section in the middle. It's in the bad section. <laughs> it's in the bad place. <laughs> it's in the bad place. <laughs> the bad Ted life. Dancing, <laughs> dancing on his grave. <laughs> anyway, we've, uh, cool. we've we've got you on. We've took the piss out of 
rankings that you probably can't even remember making. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. And so we'll let you... It was very, it was very off the cuff. I wasn't expecting to be scrutinised in quite such um, <laughs> grueling, grueling detail. It was like being in front of like a House of Commons select committee or something. But, no. to, to be well, fair, think we, on. we are quite dreadful people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we'll let you get back to um, pretending yeah, no, to work. Yeah, I was work, I suppose. Would you like to insult us in some way yeah. before you go? I'm sorry? Would you like to insult us before Party we go? Insult. Oh, um... <laughs> Put you on the spot again. Yeah. No, not really. Well, no. Why would I want to... I mean, yeah. Oh, oh, God. 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 Your fucking opinions at that time were just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, no. Congratulations on... On uh, producing all this lovely stuff for us. Uh, well done. And oh, um, I will nice. continue to enthusiastically <laughs> consume it in the future. Oh. Things have changed in the last few years. Last time, every, like, our first caller last time was someone telling Capsy to fuck off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the good old days. But, uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you for calling in and thank you for being so yeah. nice. I'm sure I'll still hold now in case we get uh, oh. Peak of Pete on the line. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> See ya, so, Paul. Fingers crossed. Bye-bye, bye-bye. If anyone else wants to call in on Skype, feel free. I don't know how much longer we're going to carry on, but I'm I'm all right. I've got a couple of beers down here still. (laughs) Should we bring Capsie back in? Ah, Go on then. then. (laughs) Capsie. Hold on. on. There he is. Capsie, what are your memories of that pub quiz that we went to with Paul Mother? (laughs) None. <laughs> None memories. He's he's stumped. Silence. <laughs> he may he may have fallen off again. Oh, oh, oh. we have another caller. <laughs> Caps just got to go away again. <laughs> <laughs> we accept this caller. Uh, we have a caller who is uh, called Braden. Are you there? Are you muted? <laughs> have we muted no. him? Oh, is um is this Braid's two thousand and six? Is it, well, he can't answer, or she can't answer. This is going Hello. well. <laughs> They've oh. gone. Oh, well. Oh, well that, was a, that was a really good call. Braden. <laughs> <laughs> good try. Try again. Uh, we'll try and get you back. <coughs> bring Capsie back, he was brilliant. It's all right. Capsie? Well, Capsie. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Capsie, what are your memories of that pub quiz? <laughs> Didn't we, um, <laughs> um, God, there's been so many. No, I do remember that pub quiz. Lee well, I don't really there. have any memories of those. I don't think we won, did we? Of course we fucking won. Did we win? Yeah. I'm so used to just losing all the quizzes at DJ that I, I've got yeah. it mixed up. But crucially at DJ, you've got 400 really hardcore Red Dwarf fans who are prepared to spend 70 odd quid on a, on a Red Dwarf convention. I yeah. love those people. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but in that pub quiz, it was people that were just sort of quite liked Red Dwarf and thought it would be fun and competitive to come along and have a little <laughs> friendly Red Dwarf yeah. game. And then you turn <laughs> Little did they know. Gonna be in Titan fucking I, I have to say, I now feel guilty about slagging off gunmen for a lack of substance. <laughs> there was also Bill Pearson there. I'm assuming you mentioned that. Yes. Bill Pearson, who at the time, I think he was whinging about working on... World War Z. <laughs> yeah, something about an annihilator. Yeah. <laughs> um, a question has been posed by Quinn in the chat: uh, Which is better, Red Dwarf USA or Time Wave? 
Braden's not working. Oh, uh, gone, no, again. gone again. Uh, what was it? The new edit, or well, not new, but the recently unearthed edit, unearthed in in the same way that um, the Daily Mail unearthed that Michelle <laughs> Keegan had been in Red Dwarf. <laughs> Quite the worst piece of journalism I've seen for some time. Uh, no, the new edit of Red Dwarf USA. Um, it really it. It helps that the quality is better. I think yeah, that's a, a big barrier it, it to does. actually enjoying it. Um, but it's it's good. It's not awful, uh, Red Dwarf USA. It's not... Uh, would it work as a series? Perhaps not. Would it, is it as good as the original? Definitely not. But I, in itself, it's not awful. I think, um, for a start, Bjerke is a lot um, more charismatic than he's given credit for. Yeah, um, he's really good. Capsy, stop typing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think it is a lot easier to enjoy a failed pilot of Red Dwarf on its own merits. What? How many? How are twenty twenty years later mm. than it is when this pilot comes out that was supposed to be some big hope for Red Dwarf, and clearly it's got its problems. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a lot easier to look at it in retrospect because it hasn't. It's um, it's actually, it's exactly like how I'm watching Voyager at the moment, um, such Voyager, where I'm looking at it having known that it's in inverted commas failed. Mm. It is then easier to look and go, well, no, actually, because that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, and that's good. But if you're looking at Voyager as your big um, hope for Star Trek, the problem's going to annoy you more. I had a similar thing with Class, the Doctor Who spin-off, which I only watched for the first time recently. And don't get me wrong, it's dog shit. But <laughs> I stopped there, after one episode. There are parts of it where you think because its reputation is so bad, and because you know that it, it, it failed in its basic job of getting recommissioned, you can watch it and think, "Well, actually, it's not that bad." And I can see what they were trying to go with, and it's almost there. That's very much the case with Red Dwarf USA, where yes. you've got gags like "I was reading that fire exit sign," mm. or Crichton's eyes landing in Captain Tao's tea, or yeah. um, "My baseball cards must be worth a fortune." I think is a better line than. I've still got that library book. It's not so as there's... good as Come Back to Mrs. Noah's version of that joke, <laughs> which was, I've left a chicken in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> and Craig's, Craig's delivery, of, I've still got that library book, comes with his that action of trying to look for his um, lighter in his top pocket. So I always thought, He's looking he thought his library book was in his top pocket. Tiny, <laughs> tiny library I book. Thought I, <laughs> was, I thought I was actually his borrowing card. <laughs> yeah, and also, with the second Dwarf Pilot, and I know I'm biased as a Trek fan, but I think Terry Farrell's cat is brilliant. I really, really enjoy that performance mm. an awful lot. And it would have been the perfect way to go with the character, because you're never going to beat Danny. Do something no, different. And it's really different. It's really interesting. I would have loved to... Actually, just I would have loved for Red Dwarf USA to get a single series. Yeah. And then... Just give know. it a go. But then, you know, butterfly effect. The ripples that would have happened yeah, on the show. Robert's yeah. stuck in America for a year doing that and not doing series six. I would happily sacrifice Red Dwarf seven and eight for a season ah, of USA. Well, here's the thing. This but was, whether I'd sacrifice 10, 11, yeah, 12... Yeah, this was a hypothetical that we've had in the past... Yeah. 
uh, where we were like, okay, like we all like series six, but it, it would be losing series six, seven, and eight in order to have six as well, uh, in you? order to have Red Dwarf USA. I think yeah. Now, now that it's back and we've also got this whole new era, which I wouldn't change for the world, then no, leave things as they are. It's difficult. Losing six would be the uh, yeah the gut wrench for me. Um, I just wanted to read out a comment before it goes too far down the uh, the list. This is a comment uh, in the live speaker chat from Duncan Newmarch. Oh, he says, gobshite. He says, "Hi, GMT. <laughs> I'm sat in the BBC Two continuity booth listening in." Unfortunately, I don't have New Red Dwarf to introduce. It's news night. Uh, <laughs> best wishes to all. John Hawk and fuck off. Happy birthday. <laughs> is that exactly what he said? Yes, yes it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, uh, that's the last Duncan time I've got, that is the last time I've got his back in NC2, let me tell you. Duncan Newmarch, our celebrity friend. Uh, thank you so much, Duncan, for doing that continuity for uh, our Pearl Pole video. That was so, so superb. Good. It was. Oh, Anyway, <laughs> uh, if, any, if anyone else wants to try calling in on Skype, feel free. Um, this whole plausible deniability thing about what my job is is completely <laughs> 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 uh, So yeah, call in on Skype if you want to, or leave us some more topics to talk about in the speaker chat. Who have we got now? Is it the same person trying no, to call in again? No, it's the Jason. Goodbye, Capsie. It's a new person <laughs> called... Jason Smedley. Jason Smedley. Oh. Oh, no. oh, and Chris as well. Oh. He's had a go. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Right. This Skype thing is so profesh. It's totally profesh. Right. Okay. Oh, no. I am going to put Chris Carter on hold because. <laughs> hold the line. Hold tight to the Chris Let's Carter. Let's speak to Jason Smedley because he called first. <laughs> if I can get him back. Oh, no. No. He's Jason gone. Smedley. I think he's gone. No. Oh, oh. Should we have Chris instead then? Fine. <laughs> oh no, hang on. Was that the first? Oh no, that was Chris. We are a real professional operation here. Chris Carter. Hello. Hello, Hello. Chris. Hello. I do apologise, my Wi-Fi is a bit patchy, so I'll probably disappear very, very soon. <laughs> you are in Wales, which can't be easy for you. Hey, we only just discovered electricity, so it's all very good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thanks for uh, for calling in, Chris. Uh, no, thanks for, for fucking off and, and dropping your connection 50 minutes ago when we <laughs> were right. expecting you, but never mind. Uh, what, what did you want to talk about? I've got no idea. I quite like Red Dwarf. I think oh, you're yeah. going to do right? It's good, isn't it? I yeah. like it when they say smeg. Yeah. I like it when they make jokes about wealth, fish and chip shops. <laughs> <laughs> I did laugh a little too hard at those, I must admit. But they are quite true. <laughs> Chris, you've been... I was been... going to say, um, given that we are celebrating the whole 30 years thing, uh, you guys haven't talked much about like the novels, so what do you think about Last Human? Oh, good. Ooh, good. That's uh, interesting. I mm. think it is quite clear that there's a divide in quality between the first two and the second two. Yes. Uh, and I think you, yes, can definitely, I you can quite easily say both Infinity and Better Than Life are better than the other two. And then there's yeah, a gap. I agree with that too. But, but I prefer, prefer last, to last human. I prefer last human to backwards. Really? Oh, I don't. Which is, I think, oh. backwards is a lot more of an easy successor, a more natural successor to the first two. It's done in the same style, but with more. Yeah, it feels more red dwarfy, doesn't it? It feels more red dwarfy, but with Rob Grant's kind of slightly psychotic edge. Sort of See, humor. Yeah. Back, backwards. <laughs> yeah. 
Backwards has the line in the books that I remember most of all, which is a one about the metal cocktail stick. <laughs> which oh, I thought it might be useful for scraping out the inside of the penis tube. <laughs> it's my one of my favourite lines, and that is what I mean by Rob Grantification. But that, yeah, and that would never come yeah. from Doug. I think we yeah. can safely say that that is not a Doug Naylor line. But yeah. I know one of my favourite lines is in the backwards book where, where um, Crichton runs around in a panicky funk. <laughs> it's yeah, and backwards is the one that's closest in terms of the prose style of Grant Naylor. Yeah. But what Last Human does is take the characters and do something different with it in the same way that Doug chose to make Series 7 different from uh, yeah. from what had gone before when he was on his own. He also did the same with his novel. And he created in Last Human a version of Red Dwarf that has not been seen before or since. Mm. And it's it's perhaps not going to, you know, there's a reason why it's not sustained and there's a reason why it's not the thing that's prevailed for 30 years. But I really like Last Human. It's kind of, <coughs> excuse me, a more serious, straight um, novel, but with Red Dwarf characters. And I think the only things that let Last Human down are the sections that are based on the TV series because they don't quite fit. Because the rest of the book is so different to the series that I really like it. Do you know, I actually... I guess with, um, I was gonna say, I guess with the television budget and technology nowadays, they probably could do the shapeshifter character a little better in actual mm. live-action TV, but I don't think it would work very well as a actual sitcom-type type deal. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not. It's perhaps not as funny, Last Human, but it, then it's not trying to be. And I can forgive a comic novel um, not making me laugh out loud far easier than I can accept a sitcom not making me laugh. Yes, out loud. and I mean my problem with series seven all along <laughs> is that it's trying to make me laugh and fail, and there's mm. a lot of kind of laugh lines for me that fall flat, which I can cope with far less well than if there aren't the laugh lines in the first place. Yeah. And I'm now trying to figure out why I said laugh and laugh <laughs> differently in, in those two sentences. I just got to break in for a second, guys, and just comment on the fact that somebody in the chat just said they love the Welsh accent, and I bloody love it too. Yeah. <laughs> Is your favourite character from Red Dwarf Birdman? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's McIntyre, my friend. McIntyre. Oh, oh of course. God. Oh. There's no longer a threat to your marriages. Exactly. Most of the Australian, but then again, I guess McIntyre is as Australian a name as um, you know <laughs> anything else because McIntyre is certainly not Welsh. So yeah, there, there is a bit of a thing there, isn't it? That Doug Naylor really hates <laughs> McIntyre, but then create his fine with Birdman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's just weird. <laughs> That's the latest debate to kick off in the topics. Birdman versus McIntyre. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of low versus low, isn't it? <laughs> <coughs> <Excuse me. coughs> We're all starting to slowly die here. Um, well, Mick has, um, has noted that he'd like to jump on Skype and also I've promised I'd bring Jason back because um, we've got cough. Okay. Cool, I shall free up a line then, guys. Yeah, thanks for calling in, Chris. You can go back to your colouring in now. That's what you do. <laughs> that? That's your job. I'm, I'm doing Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's proper. That is good. I know, yeah. I'm, I, I feel almost legit. He's, he's fancy now. <laughs> Too legit to quit. But nonetheless, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for calling oh, in, yeah. Chris. Sorry, yeah. sorry we've lost our See sensibilities now. <laughs> Bye, Chris. Bye. Bye, Bye dude. Bye. 
Right. Let me see if I can get Jason back. Right. We can have a smedley medley. <laughs> oh, this is going very well. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting we're actually live. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Hang on, I'm going to say something Hi, awful Jason. in a minute. Hello, can you hear me? Yay! Yay! <laughs> Yay! Hello, Jason. Sorry about that before. I did do oh, it. It's alright. I'm sorry I called you pricks, I was joking. We've been called worse. <laughs> we're actually kind of low on the whole insult front, so <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I'm missing the Pacos Pete factor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, Jason, uh, welcome to the show. What did you want to talk about? Uh, well, to be honest, I just wanted to be part of things. So I thought hey. I'd best think of a question before I rang anyway. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking, if you could choose whether we could have uh, another four or five series with, uh, with Doug writing and directing like he has been, or one more final series... Rob and Doug back together, and then that's it. No more Red Dwarf. Which would you have? Oh, God. I, 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 I can answer that. Yes. Um, one more series of Rob and Doug. Yeah, I think I would be the same. But mm. this is assuming, which is, I think, the fallacy that most arguments about Rob versus Doug fail to take into account, is that it's assuming that Rob is just going to slot in and it will be exactly the same as it was in 1993. Can I rephrase? Rob and Doug, if Rob really wants to do it, there's a yes. big blackmail. Oh, of course. Yeah, it sounds like the dream team, but I mean, you, you, you think about Blackadder and how that should have worked when they came back, but didn't. It's exactly that same problem you can have, where it just doesn't quite fit anymore. I, yeah. But I don't know. It's, 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 it's incredibly impossible to tell. I don't think... I don't have anything... I don't think it would be exactly the same. Because no, I don't no. think it could possibly be the same. Because they're not the same people that they were when they were writing it. Like, in like classic era. Yeah. But I would still like to see what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And can... Unlike you were saying earlier, no two series of Red Dwarf are ever exactly the same anyway. So that... what would you have expecting it to that... be the same as... Yeah, that was going to be my point, that if you look at the end and out of time, yeah. those are extraordinarily different <laughs> half-hour episodes of a sitcom. So there isn't some Robin Doug golden era in terms of it being one thing. Mm. Um, I think that would be a mistake to, to look but at. But then, yeah, uh, you, like you do think that, you know, it's been so long now since... How long? Like, 25 years since Rob wrote Red Dwarf. Yeah. Mm. How many ideas must he have had in 25 years that he has been storing up in the back of his head that would work for Red Dwarf that you could burst into a, a six-episode series and come up with something that's truly incredible because it's all the ideas that he's been wanting to do. But then, again, that's assuming that he wants anything to do with Red yeah, Dwarf. Yeah, it's not necessarily that he does. I think we've kind of... Certainly us, and I think fandom as a whole has got to the point now where we've just accepted Rob isn't interested. Mm. And I think there was a period where we were in mourning. And, yeah. I, and I mean in mourning, I do not mean in mourning in terms of Rob was the funny one. I don't mean no. that. I mean the partnership. Yeah. 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 And um, well, It's I like, think, it's like think... your parents getting a divorce. It's like, <laughs> you created this thing and it's brilliant. And, and I remember it. You Are you talking about yourself? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I remember I, I used to get genuinely really upset by just even the idea that Rob and Doug didn't write together yeah. anymore. I, I, I was gutted. I was so upset. And now maybe that seems a little silly. You know, there's a lot of other things going on in all our lives that, you know, whether two writers write together or not doesn't quite seem to be as important as it used to mm. to me. Um, but it, I used to find it gutting. I used yeah. to find it really upsetting. I, I wouldn't necessarily lie awake about it, but it, I would think about it quite a lot. But no, not so much. <laughs> I think there's a limited amount of energy you can spend on that. And once you've done it for a few years, you know, <laughs> you kind of... But that, you reach acceptance. You, re- you do reach the People acceptance. are discussing this question in the, um, in the chat, and uh, a few people are saying that it's kind of... Having a concluding series of Red Dwarf, regardless, would be something that's appealing. Having something that's definitively, here's the last episode. Because it's something that Doug has said that he's not intending to do. He's not intending to do a concluding episode of Red Dwarf. Which I can kind of see both sides. It's Because it's not like one of those shows where it's necessarily aiming for an end point. I think it may have started out with that intention in series one of here's the plan and is to get back to Earth, but that's not that's yeah. not what the show's about, and that's not what and, the show's been about for some time. Numerous times, I've actually done the exact opposite and said it's yeah. not about that anymore. Yeah, it's about just living as best you can in the life that you've got, which is kind of the story of series ten. Um, is Lister accepting where he is in his life, and Rimmer as well, oh. and you know, accepting that Red Dwarf is home and Earth is not home. Uh, it's kind of depression, but they are all going to die in space. <laughs> yes, yeah, mm-hmm. they're going to die in space. They're not getting back to Earth. <laughs> but then, you know, people from the 23rd century, when space travel is a common thing and interstellar travel is a thing, you know, it's not the handicap it used to be in the olden days, <laughs> dying alone in space. But, but yeah, I, w- I kind of got in the back of my head that one day there'd be a final episode of Red Dwarf, and I would have really liked it to be a definitive ending and I think that's because for a long time the last ever episode was out of time which was a cliffhanger <laughs> and then for even longer the last ever episode was only the good which is a cliffhanger and so the idea of Red Dwarf ending and being not finished is really something that I don't want yeah. so. I I think I certainly get the appeal of having a definite end but my slight concern about it is as you've just said, any ending to the series has to be has to take into account what is the series about. Mm. And Red Dwarf as a series doesn't feel like it's about an ending of any sort, if you see what I mean. There's mm. there's no it isn't going anywhere specific. There's no ending I can think of. So any ending it has has to be something similar, surely, to what Skipper did. Yeah. And or the I, beginning. Or the beginning. It it cannot. I don't think it can be the crew getting home. I, I don't think that's the point anymore. Yeah. Um. And what do you do if they do get home? I, I don't see an interesting way of doing it. Mm. I mean, I'm not a writer. There might be a brilliant way of yeah. doing it. But yeah, I so. It, it, it's it, you. You have to look and say what is Red Dwarf about these days, and what is it doing, and that's where you have to reach the conclusion of what the ending could be. And I don't know what it could be. Um, International debris suggests an episode where Lister and Cap die, and Rimmer and Crichton have to decide whether they want to carry on living or not. 
<laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> That's brilliant Bre- and not a sitcom. Yeah. Sorry, I'm out I'm talking earlier. Carry on. <laughs> That's alright. It's Skype. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, no, God, I really like that idea. Though. <laughs> I mean, one ending is that they reach death of uh, um, from natural uh, uh, natural causes, and they get revived as holograms, and it just turns into a crap version of Holoship. <laughs> yeah, everyone's a hologram. Yeah. And then they think, hang on, why don't we just resurrect the entire crew? Uh, I hope that answers your question, Jason. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me on. No, at all. Sorry we had trouble getting you on in the first place, but yeah, thanks for calling in. Thanks for joining us. Do you want to insult us before you leave? Um, uh, Yeah, you're all cunts. There we go. That's what we like to do. Thanks for that. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Fun. We do have a mick. Is he waiting? Uh, Uh, Is it a mick? What's a mick? Go on then. We have a mick. And then we want to think about wrapping up before we literally drop off air. (laughs) (laughs) There is a three. There is a three-hour limit to these speaker shows, folks. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Mickus. Hello, Mick. Oh. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hello, Alan. Just caught him in the middle of a wank. <laughs> well, that's a nice way to welcome Mick onto the show. <laughs> I say you can call him. I know, know Mick. You know it. Fine. <laughs> Hi, dude. Howdy. Uh, we should say actually, uh, Mick is one of the team members of the official Red Dwarf fan club, uh, as is Joe and Danny. And yeah. earlier today, the fan club uh, announced two guests for Dimension Gym, didn't you? We did, did indeed, yes. Who were they? <laughs> they were Norman Lovitz yeah. and Hattie Hayward. Well, the Hollies. The Hollies. <laughs> the, the two Hollies. Uh, they're going to DJ, and tickets aren't available now because they all sold out. I was about out. to say, that would have been. Sold a, out, you that, fuckers. It would have been an amazing bit. Of a marketing of publicity, but you don't need it. No. A completely needless no, plug. Just thought we'd tell there. people who already have tickets. <laughs> well done, you special people. Well, we, we thought we'd better actually announce some guests. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you don't need to. That's quite clearly the case. You can just announce that there is a dimension jump and you sell out. These people have we, bought the tickets regardless. Why are you wasting money booking guests? Consider just putting all the money behind the bar. Well, you should not have said that because that is better than. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mick, hello. Hello. I, well, I, I would happily pay for a weekend with Dave Benson Phillips. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, how are you doing this fine anniversary evening, Mick? I'm very well. I'm not doing too badly at all. Do you want to um, tell the ladies and gentlemen how you enjoyed the end earlier? Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> um, I, I watched it on uh, actually the exact TV... I watched it on on original broadcast with <laughs> my my aunt's old fourteen inch CRT TV, and I watched it off a Betamax cassette. <laughs> of course you fucking yeah, did. Because you, <laughs> you are the king of retro, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I do have a question. Oh, go on. So, uh, putting starry eyed nostalgia aside, which is rich coming from me. Um, <laughs> Compare 
the model shots from series three to six specifically with more recent ones what do you prefer um that, that, that's not that difficult a question i don't think um the series three to six ones are better they are shot on film by film cameramen and people that specialize in doing model shoots i think um the technical quality of the models themselves, I think that the current ones are pretty good. They're certainly up to scratch. But there's something about the way that the, the shots themselves, the effect shots, are composed. Whether it's partly that they're shot on green screen now and there's less physical elements. <coughs> uh, even though I greatly appreciate the fact that we're still getting physical models and yeah. and they still look great. Um, I think it's it's far less consistent these days and that's to do with the way that the shots themselves are composed and the way they look when all the elements are put together is never going to look quite as natural as when you've just got even if it's just a black cloth with some holes cut out of it at least it's physically there I think it's interesting how before Red Dwarf came before Red Dwarf came back for certainly 10, 11 and 12 there was lots and lots of um, discussion about we want the physical models back, we want the physical models back, we don't want CGI. And now it's come back and we have the physical models, there isn't really an awful lot of discussion mm. about them. And what I'm trying to work out is, is that because what we've got isn't as impressive as we'd like? Or is it, as I suspect, that the shows are bringing up so many other things to talk about in terms of quality and in terms of ideas that the models kind of aren't really discussed because we're too busy talking about the other shit well I think the aim of doing model shots and physical effects in general which is something that Mike Tucker has said uh, many times is that part of it is to go unnoticed and that's how you judge the success I think if we had shit um, effects with whether they be shit model effects or shit CGI effects, they would be a distraction and we'd be talking about them because you know, oh, I was watching the episode and then all of a sudden this piece of shit came along. Uh, the fact that most of them are competent, <laughs> the fact that most of them are good, if not spectacular, is them doing their job of, of fitting in and not drawing attention to themselves. I think Twentica is a really good example of the crash mm. where you watch it and you look at it and you think, well I think, actually I'm not going to say what you think, but I think it's all very good but it doesn't quite add up. Yeah. Um, and there's a weird flatness to a lot of these shots. I get such little sense of depth with it that I kind of end up just feeling a little meh about it. But as you say, I don't feel outraged either. So it's mm. just something that drifts past, and I talk about other things instead. And it's a shame. This is this is something that you are more likely to say than me, John. But <laughs> it's a shame that in in twenty seventeen or twenty sixteen, the, the there's even a question that what we're seeing is is less good than it was twenty thirty years ago. Yeah. Like how what's happened in the world of TV? What's happened in the industry where uh, where programs that were made in the late eighties uh, the effects aren't an issue, whereas they are now. And the honest answer to that is media fragmentation, as it always is. Yeah. That less people are watching Red Dwarf than used to watch Red Dwarf, therefore less money's going into it. Um, it's the same thing if you're looking at say a magazine program 
um, on BBC One. Fewer people are watching that magazine program <coughs> on BBC One. Therefore, yeah, it's not got the budget that it used to have. And daytime shows are now an hour long, where they would have been half an hour long to make them cheaper in order to fill that brief. And then you also have the problem, I mean, even when Red Dwarf was an independent production, it was relying on the BBC's own special effects department. So it was relying on a lot of licence fee money Mm. and a lot of money from uh, a kind of base level of finance that that department needs to have. Now Red Dwarf's visual effects are funded from scratch. Yeah. And inevitably, you're not... And that's the whole problem with how television's made these days. That it used to be that everything you needed was there and you didn't need to pay for it. I mean, your studio was there and you didn't need to pay for it. I dread to think how much Red Dwarf spends on just um, studio mm. time alone. It didn't used to have and to we spend know, the we money. Know, yeah, we know that having just having an audience is a massively expensive thing yeah. because you've got to get people in and out safely and you've got to have people looking after the tickets and looking after them and doing everything. It's If you, if you look at Steptoe and Son, the way they made Steptoe and Son was the single cheapest way you can make a half-hour comedy. Now, try and recreate that now. It's more expensive. I would be interested to like taking what you how series one and two and obviously the old BBC Manchester and you know that era how much that would obviously I know it would cost more like than than even our new series probably would if we had if we didn't have those facilities on hand if that stuff was paid for. Yeah, I think it's undeniable and obvious that um, all things taken into account. Red Dwarf has got less money put into it now in real terms including having to pay for everything in terms of what they can play with than it had even in 1988 what I would love to know is the actual facts and figures regarding that and that's really difficult (laughs) to research no one wants to talk about it we're going to have to kind of wait till everyone's dead and buried before we get that information and it's the same with any show not just Red Dwarf that no one wants to talk about budget for very good reasons um, we've we've had a a question. Sorry to to pause this conversation, but we've had a question coming from Jason actually, who's just left us. Uh, would you rather fight a Norman Lovett sized duck or one hundred duck sized Norman Lovitts? <laughs> Asking all the important questions. <laughs> I think a hundred duck sized Normans. Yeah. Definitely. No, but then no, there'd be a normal sized duck. Them, but yeah, no, no, no. no, no you that big, but you can jump I that's, can take that duck. That's still a of them. huge fucking I duck think out. if you jump up and land on the small ducks, you've got a better chance than trying to <laughs> get Yeah, but one. they've all got Norman Levitt's face looking up at you. Could you in all good consciousness do that? <laughs> I mean that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! Uh, I don't don't know is the answer to that one. We should have a poll. No, I'm a we should, we, dog, we should run a poll about this. Uh, we've run enough polls, mate. Let's do it on Twitter. <laughs> uh, so, Mick, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> the way the way you asked it seemed to imply that you had a, a horse in this race. What's your view on it? Um. I- I, I think for me personally, um, nostalgia very much comes into play. I think the, the older model shots have a very, I mean, as amazing as they are, they're obviously model shots, but they have an amazing sort of classic sci-fi stroke 
Fireball XL5 sort of feel to them. And I think that stirs up a lot of uh, a lot of feeling with me. And none of the recent model shots have really had the same same sort of feeling for me. I wonder how much of that is down to Peter Rag though. Having that Well almost entirely, but yeah. No, no, but it's well, a... not just Peter Rag himself, but his team, like Mike Tucker, um, his kind of, yeah. Rocky Marshall, Alan Brandon, all the people that studied under him and worked with him, exactly. have taken off that ethos. I've been trying to figure out what it is. Um, what I like about the model shots, the early model shots, is there is a great sense of clarity to them. You look at them and you know exactly what story that shot is trying to tell. Mm. And I don't always quite have that with the newer ones. I'm not sometimes quite sure what I'm looking at occasionally or, or what story it's trying to tell or it doesn't immediately get across certain information that I want it to get across. Mm. I think that's sometimes because they're a little bit generic so yeah. that they can be reused. Yeah, that's another... It's economies of scale, isn't it? They, have, yeah. they can only make so many episode-specific ones. Mm. And also, I do think there is a problem when you're showing Red Dwarf now that even though you've got uh, a physical model of Red Dwarf, still the wrong shape. <laughs> still, well, it's, it's, it's better still, than it was. It's far, but it's, it's far just, better than it was. It's the fact are. that it's disproportionate because it was designed to, that nose cone was designed to be on a much longer ship than it is and so proportionally it's, it's too big. Yeah. Still. And I, I, I moaned about boosters when it was a CGI shot. Uh, it would be hypocritical for me to change my mind yeah. now we're seeing it in a model. I still think that looks wrong for Red Dwarf. I don't think Red Dwarf... That's not the Red Dwarf I ha- I think about. Having big boosters at the end of it. That That's generic sci-fi. That's not what Red Dwarf mm. is. Yeah, I agree Red with that. Red does not like big boosters. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to have to say goodbye to Mick now because in less than ten minutes we're going to fall off air. Oh, so... <laughs> Uh, thanks for calling in Mick lovely to hear from you as always bye Mick bye Mick bye bye, Mick. bye dude bye bye see you soon uh, we've got one last question <coughs> that we've just got time to squeeze in if I can find it as I scroll back down the list <laughs> um, Ian King asks do you believe we will see a series 13 this year this year yeah not a fucking chance no, no. I don't think there'll be one uh <laughs> Yeah, there's a very strong chance that one will be announced. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a good chance that one will go into production. Uh, I think you've got a kind of a cut-off point, probably, where them announcing it would be too late for it to be in production this year, if you see what I mean. So wait, normally... when you say see, if you go to the recording, you yeah. may see... <laughs> you may see a logo for Red Dwarf 13 this year, <laughs> or an announcement, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think it's likely that they'll announce that a Series 13 has been commissioned before the end of the year, which is still ten and a half months away. Uh, we definitely won't see it on TV, but we might. it might be in studio by the end of the year. Well, that would be, even that would sound like a, quite a quick... I don't know, that I don't know because a lot, a lot of things are in place. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, hopefully when Red Dwarf is back on TV now, it's it's as the norm, as we've been saying earlier today. It's like... It's not a revival anymore, it's just a continuation of the revival that's already happened. Yeah. I, I think another question is... Um, we haven't got time for other questions. Really, <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> series 10, 11 and 12 all have a fairly similar feel. Certainly 11 and 12. If 13, When 13, if 13 does go into production, 
is Doug going to have one of his rights? Let's change things around mm. again. Because he's got a habit of it and a history of it. Or is he feeling that, no, we've actually reached the point where we want to keep making it like this? Yeah, or does he have a choice? <laughs> like, budgetary-wise, Yeah. if it's, you know, if it's a choice of we can throw everything and, and start again, but we could just use what we've got and, and use the money that we're saving to tell bigger stories or do more location filming or do more model filming or whatever. Also, um, Kerry Waddell. She mm. is now no longer a baby cow. She is not. Ah. She is a part of the commissioning team at UK TV, which I think, you know, Red Dwarf didn't really need any more allies at, <laughs> at, um, at UK TV. Um, that it, it was already likely to get commissioned, but having Kerry there, <laughs> she's now there from the channels as the channels representative rather than as from the production company. Mm. Um, I would be worried that Red Dwarf no longer has Kerry's expertise on the ground. We're not for the fact that it's Baby Cow and they know how to make comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure whoever is in Kerry's place will be will know exactly what they're doing. Plus, you know, Richard's been producing Red Dwarf for a long time now, yeah. uh, compared to most people in history. <laughs> haven't produced as much Red Dwarf as Richard has. Doug is, you know, getting yeah. more and more comfortable doing it. So, yeah, the future is in is in a safe place, which isn't which hasn't been the case for many of the more recent anniversaries. Mm. Because uh, even after, even in at the twenty fifth after series ten, we didn't know whether there'd be a series eleven. No. We we assumed no. that there would be. We still don't know that there will be a series thirteen, but we we think it's safe. Um, and I think we're rambling a bit now. We are. <laughs> we're about to drop off air, so that's it for tonight. Uh, and a huge thank you to everyone who joined us on this very special occasion uh, to listen and chat along live and to call in on Skype. Massive thanks to all of you who did that. Uh, if you missed any of the show, it will be available to download sometime this weekend from www.ganymede.tv and all good podcast feeds. Plus, uh, we'll also snip out the commentary bit for those that requested it and release that as a separate podcast. Uh, our non-live Dwarfcast will return soon as we get closer and closer to our landmark 100th edition. And we'll be live again the next time an episode is released or on the 35th anniversary, whichever comes soonest. Uh, but for now, that brings our hashtag Red Dwarf 30 celebrations to a close. Uh, thanks once again to everyone who joined us and to all those who voted in the Pearl Poll. Uh, on days like today, it's nice to take stock and reflect on what Red Dwarf means to us. Uh, it's a huge part of all of our lives, having been responsible for countless friendships and relationships over the years. Uh, and so we'd just like to take this opportunity to say a heartfelt thank you to Rob, Doug, Chris, Craig, Danny and Robert, uh, Norman, Hattie, Chloe, Mac... Paul Jackson, Peter Risdell Scott, everyone at the BBC, UKTV, Grant Nader Productions and Baby Cow that have worked so hard on the series over the years. Uh, and to those such as Peter Ragg, Mel Bibby, Paul Montague, Joe Howard and Charles Armitage who are no longer with us. And of course, to Ed Bye everybody. Ed, Ed Bye! Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. <laughs>